John Wick, Chapter 4, an interview with Marta Malans from Shazam 2, and everything else you need to know about the universes you love right here on the Direct Podcast. Truth is, I am a Jedi. I'm the vengeance. And I am Iron Man. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome in, welcome on, and welcome to another rollicking edition of the Direct Podcast. Everything you need to know about the universes you love. I am your host, the Baba Yaga, Matt Rimke, joined as always by my friend, Colt's friend, teacher, Floridian, box office correspondent, co-host, Mr. David Thompson. David, how we doing, bud? Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. It's, it's it's going good so far today, this Sunday. Uh, happy Monday to anyone listening right now. Hey, if you're listening Monday morning, I just want to say cheers. I got a free coffee from Starbucks this morning. And if you're sipping coffee right now, we appreciate your viewership, your listening. And uh, yeah, happy Monday. Wait, great way to start the week. This is going to be a fun episode. We have so much to talk about. Some of the news is a little bleak, but John Wick 4 <laughs> was an amazing time in theaters. Go check out this movie if you haven't already. When we get to the spoilers part of the review, pause, go see it, come back, and it is going to be a phenomenal review for a super fun movie. And fun in a good way this time. Fun in the best way possible. Fun in the way that no other, very few other movies are able to achieve because Mm -hmm. of what it sets out to do and the risks it takes. And yeah, it's been a good weekend. Um, it was my fiance's birthday yesterday, so shout out Jasmine, twenty three Jordan birthday, year. Jasmine, yep, um, awesome. And now it's that's been a lot of fun. But yeah, I'm happy to be here, Matt. How's your weekend going? How's everything going with you? It's going fantastic. A lot of work, a lot of basketball. Um, uh, lot if you basketball. are listening to this Monday and enjoying your coffee, just know I woke up at three in the morning for a five fifteen flight, which is super duper fun. Um. Uh, Jasmine, you said she's 23. Shout out, Jasmine. Uh, you know, the, the beautiful bride to be. Um, she gets to do the thing I did when I was in grade school because when I was in first grade, it was 2001. When I was in sixth grade, it was 2006. Yeah. When I was, you know what I mean? Yep. So that's yeah, a very it's perfect. Fun thing. You, ne- yeah. you never forget her birthday. You know, for me, I'll, I'll be mm-hmm. an old man. We married for how many years? I'm like, which one is this? And I'll just think, what, what year is it? What year is it? Here we go. Mm-hmm. We're, we're in. We're locked in. It's perfect. It's good stuff. That was me all throughout grade school. We all found ourselves very special for that. But no, uh, <laughs> if you take it away, if you take anything away from this episode before we even get into the news, go see John Wick at theaters. That's that's really the biggest takeaway from the episode. But other than that, not a ton of updates or housekeeping here for the direct podcast. We are going to continue our Mandalorian reviews this week. Mm. Um, I may or may not be on it this week. We're going to have to figure that out later. Something David's learning right now, as I say it out loud. Um, And uh, we're going to be doing that every Wednesday next week. No movie review um, because we're not going to do Dungeons and Dragons and we got a week before another franchise movie comes out, but the week after that, David, Super Mario Brothers. And let me tell you, um, I uh, I was fortunate enough to grab a screening invite for Super Mario Brothers oh. two days before my uh, premiere ticket. Yeah, just, just two days, 48 hours. 
over the moon excited i get to see this twice in a span of 48 hours man i'm so excited i look just a quick <laughs> aside on mario i'm wearing my mario shirt today sure. i've been i've been playing super mario galaxy um on mm-hmm. my switch like the all-star 3d thing whatever on on the switch it's been a great time i love super mario galaxy it's been getting me right into the best mindset heading into this film I am so optimistic for this movie and what it's going to mean to people, how much it's going to maybe set up for the future of what could be an overarching franchise. And then just looking at the box office, it always comes down to that for me. Um, John Wick's going to be doing great. Um, you know, come the, you know, this weekend, it's doing wonderfully. And I think Mario is just going to like set that bar. I am I am hoping for 100 million opening for Mario domestic. I think that would be amazing i think that would be show-stopping i mean it's got kind of a five-day release so it's a little unique because it does open on a wednesday um because easter sunday um easter weekend is that weekend so it will be interesting to cover but i cannot wait to see that movie yeah it's uh it's gonna be something uh, the jordan year of movies is full throttle we are barreling through this thing we are right in the meat of it it's very exciting stuff but uh, other than that, we don't have a ton of updates. Next week, we'll do some sort of draft or bracket. It'll be very fun. But until then, here is everything you need to know about the universes you love. Spider-Man wasn't attacking the city. He was trying to save it. That's slander. It is not. I resent that. Slander is spoken. In print, it's libel. All right. Let's talk about that proverbial elephant in the room. Uh, it was a tough week for the Red Brand uh, over at Marvel Cinematic Studios. Um, there are a couple of bummer uh, news stories that definitely, um, you know, de- deserve to be talked about. But, um, you know, as details come out, we'll talk about them more often. So off the top, if you're listening to this now, you probably already know. But for anyone who doesn't, uh, Jonathan Majors, Hollywood darling, he plays Kang in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He was just the bad guy in Creed 3. He is supposed to be our next Thanos, he was arrested over the weekend in New York City in the beautiful neighborhood of Chelsea, Manhattan, by the way. Um, uh, that's where my uh, works office is. Love that. Oh, area. really? Um, yeah. Uh, Jonathan Majors was arrested for alleged assault um, of his girlfriend um, over the weekend. Uh, the the um, charges are scary and horrible. And... Um, Jonathan Majors and his representations say that they are all false. And uh, this is all some sort of we got to clear our name situation. It is tumultuous. It is unnerving. It's unsettling. Um, You know, this is one of the worst case scenarios for, you know, somebody in Hollywood that we all love for something like this to come out. There are a ton of concrete details right now. So, you know, I personally don't want to speak too much on the matter until we know one way or another, I would hate to say some things. And then turns out that the situation isn't exactly what we thought it was. And I have to take those things back. So, um, but in the reporting of the news, Jonathan majors is in some trouble right now. And as the details come out, the fate of his career and also the fate of uh, this victim in this case are going to be decided and just shout out to Anyone out here who is a victim of this type of thing and, you know, just know that we're here for you, but we're not going to talk too much on it until more details come out. David, do you have anything to say on the Jonathan Majors matter? Yeah, nothing really right now. I mean, this is just something that we're taking very seriously than everyone else should be just and as the direct.com, you know, follow our coverage there. We've been updating. It's this is a developing story and it will be, um, I think, for a while, honestly. 
Um, I think just my only real thought on this is how quickly things can change. Mm-hmm. You know, yesterday, Jonathan Majors was this rising star and he still it's like he still is. But this is a huge deal. You know, um, this is something that may not go away and we don't know. And maybe people and this is the kind of time when maybe others come forward. Who knows? Right. We don't know what the future holds, but I think I would advise everyone to stay updated on the direct.com for all of this and just do some reading, you know. Um, I would advise everyone to not really get in too involved in it, maybe like the conjecture on Twitter um, and just kind of try to read the facts, stick, stick to the facts with these kinds of deals. And really then after a while, maybe form some opinions and thoughts. And look, I, oh my gosh, just, just, I would say, just stick to the facts and form your opinions over time because you don't want to be too brash. You don't want to be too light, I guess, you know, right. And you yep. don't. And I would advise people to that, you know, don't let him as an actor and how you feel in that really affect how you view this whole thing, because this is something completely outside of the industry. You know, this is mm-hmm. something completely out outside of his work. And we're and really the reality should be is you should be concerned about the safety of others that are involved and that could be involved in anything like this. So that's mm-hmm. all I have to say. Um, and yeah, stay tuned for the direct.com. We're, we're covering it there. And I'm sure over t- the next you know few weeks, days, there will be updates. Yeah, and we will be talking about the updates when the details come out and it affects these movies and shows that we love. We're not going to be talking about any legislation or anything like that. That's not what this show is. We're here to talk about the universes you love, but we will talk about the details as it affects those universes. If you do go on Twitter and want to talk about Jonathan Majors, don't talk about the Marvel Cinematic Universe because that is the least important part of this entire uh, story. Some stories are more about people than they are about the MCU. Some stories, though, David, in a very dark and traumatic uh, segue, some stories are about the MCU. And this next story is the MCU, one of the founders of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, a building block to what made this thing so great, but also very polarizing figure in Hollywood. Victoria Alonso, legendary executive producer of Marvel Studios, one of the masterminds for the MCU and probably will go down as like one of the best film producers of all time, you know, when it's all said and done, because she's on that ground floor Marvel Studios team. She's been fired. She has been fired by Marvel Studios. And I don't mean to laugh. It's just it's crazy how quick this thing turned around as well. It's just this seemed to come in a flurry fireball over two days. You know what I mean? Yeah. You ever have a couple days where you half pay attention to the Slack channel over on the direct.com? And then like you finally, like at the end of the yeah. night, open it up. And you're like, wait, what the hell happened? To Victoria Alonso? <laughs> yeah. um, Victoria Alonso, uh, like I said, legendary EP for Marvel Studios as of like the last 10 years, I want to say, since Avengers, I think. She is the head of uh, visual effects and production. Um, So she's like the head president of that branch. Um, She has been fired by Marvel Studios. Uh, The report is that she was fired for producing, working on, and promoting a universal... Oh, no, Amazon. 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 Oscar-nominated movie called Argentina in 1985. Um, This was a passion project for Victoria Alonso, but uh, Disney says it is a clear breach of contract to work, produce, and promote another studio's film the way she did. Um, Alonso is going to fight back. There's probably going to be a 60-minute situation somewhere. Mm. Um, Marvel Studios seems pretty confident this is a legal situation and not so much a personal situation, but... 
What makes it not personal but interesting is that many people say that Victoria Alonso is kind of the curator of this toxic visual effects artist culture in Marvel pantheon at the moment. We remember last year, it wasn't a VFX strike, but there was a pouring out from VFX artists in the industry saying that the working conditions for Marvel post-pandemic were just unreasonable and a lot of people say victoria alonso is either tied to or directly responsible for that culture and um, that also could be a big part of it david this is a big industry story probably one of the biggest industry stories you know fuck delaying a couple shows or pushing back a couple movies this is victoria alonso on her way out she'll be fine but uh what are your thoughts on victoria alonso leaving marvel studios um in the sense of how it impacts the content on screen but also uh, you know, is this Bob Iger doing Bob Iger things here in 2023? Yeah, look, man, there's a lot to break down here, and you did a great job kind of laying it all out. I think the main thing that I have on this story is we will never know the full story, you sure. know. Um, that, and that's kind of what I always take away from these reports where it's like, you know, they're, they're, we pointed this, we pointed that, right? All these different things come out. We have like the, the scoopers, the insiders that don't have any, you know, sources that are saying this and saying that. And at the end of the day, as a fan listening out there, I'm not sure this is going to affect that much. You know, I'm not sure you guys should be like concerned. I think if you follow the industry like me and Matt and whoever else, it's a very interesting business company story. However, I don't think this is going to have any crazy impact on the future of the MCU. I think a lot of those impacts we're seeing in terms of delaying and stuff like that um, are already set into motion by pretty much Bob Iger. Uh, because what's happening with the MCU, talk about more in a second, is just that we're kind of doing a 180, like we're turning the ship around in terms of their approach, where JPEG before going, you know, JPEG before uh, being fired was like full bore Disney Plus shows out the wazoo, you know, which, you know, (laughs) yeah, Disney Plus was new at the time. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, that's what's, you know, there's a whole, you can get a whole dialogue about like, you know, did Chapek get screwed over? Did he really screw himself? You know, like, was he given a, is he just handed a poor hand? You know, like, was just given a poor hand where he had to take over the company and Iger kind of like got out right before everything came come crumbling down with COVID. It's a really hard position. Tough. However, Bob Iger, who's coming in, doing his own thing, you know, redirecting, re, you know, changing even just how the company's going to be formatted in terms of putting pow- more power into the creatives, changing, you know, the way we're approaching streaming and all these things, especially for for Marvel. I wonder if any of the VFX element to this, because let's talk about this for a second. This VFX story with Marvel has been lingering for a while, for like six months. You know, we've report after report after report, insider, insider saying, or not even just insiders, openly discussing how the working conditions at Marvel are really, really bad, especially I would say when it was the She-Hulk Wakanda forever moment that, that felt like around that time, there was a lot of, I don't know, negative energy out there <laughs> about what's going on because people were very critical of She-Hulk and based on the, the, the fans being critical spurred these stories. So I don't know if her being fired had anything to do with that necessarily. I'm not what. What kind of doesn't make any sense for me is why she would sign up to produce this thing for Amazon without knowing this was going to happen. So that's why I'm saying where I started this whole thing off as we don't know the whole story. We're probably never going to know the full story of how it exactly went down. 
because it doesn't all add up, you know, and we can get Disney can give excuses for why she was fired, but maybe there is more to it. And I question maybe there was. Um, so we'll see. I, it will be interesting, you know, just for those reading out there listening. It'll be interesting over time when more comes out, you know, like you said, what if there is a sit down interview, if there is kind of a back and forth kind of thing, if she does try to like fire back, you know, exactly. uh, you know, have some sort of lawsuit against them, something like that. Who knows? Um, and I think it will happen. It'll be interesting to follow along as it all, you know, eventually unfolds. And I'm sure it's messy. All this business stuff is always super messy with these executives. Oh, terribly right. messy. <laughs> right. But what's what's it's weird to say it's nice. You know, a woman got fired. She, you know, she lost her job. That's not good by any means. But comparing this to the Jonathan Major stuff, it is at least, you know, it, it's good to know that this wasn't like her, she's like a horrible human being. Or like did something, you know, gross or whatever. And that's why she got fired. This seems like a legal thing, like a breach of contract situation. And because of that, Victoria Alonso is going to be fine. You know what I mean? She's going right. to find work and she's going to continue making a ton of money. When it comes to the VFX thing, I do just want to speak on that really quickly. And, you know, I don't even want to put myself in the same breath as the artists that work on these movies, because that is a that is something I cannot do. I am not that type of artist, but as a graphic artist, you know, working for I, I work for a startup, but I've worked for all kinds of companies. I've worked for giant news stations. I've worked for startups. I've worked for the governor of a state. I have done it all. And one thing I do know when it comes to the visual graphic design process, there is a real you know, issue to be had when the top person doesn't understand the process for the people working on the actual product. And what I mean by that is, and this is something that when the whole visual, um, the Marvel VFX, you know, uh, controversy, you know, saga began, it was very clear to me what was going on. They had a quote unquote plan when VFX started, when VFX artists began creating content and throughout the creation process, changes were made uh, too much, right? right? And then once things were done, there was a lot of, okay, go back and change all of these different things. Mm -hmm. When your plan at the top in the pre-production process doesn't account for what revisions do to visuals and graphics and how visual effects artists respond to that, um, like when that plan isn't thought all the way through, it is perfect breeding ground for a toxic environment like like everybody's talking about online because if you just plan ahead and you know what you want your vfx to look like ahead of time you can at least limit the amount of revisions on the back end and it's so frustrating for visual effects houses and teams and artists when a change is made to something that so could have not could have been prevented if you just thought about it for two seconds so it I, I ramble and I say all this to say if Victoria Alonso was responsible for the VFX struggles, it would make a lot of sense to kind of not not pin it on her. But that is something one person in leadership can do to mm -hmm. a graphics department. I'm, and I, that's just something I wanted to share out there. Yeah. Um, another bad Marvel news story um, is that these Disney Plus shows are getting released later than we thought. And this is like. The third or fourth week we've had something like this come up yeah. in the new segment. Owen Wilson said that Loki's probably not coming till late August, September. Mm -hmm. And Secret Invasion is we're we're looking at June now as like the floating around month that it might come out. And 
this is supposed to be a spring show. Spring's almost over. You know what I mean? Summer's <laughs> almost here. It's right around the corner. Um, so uh, the the stimming of all that is that these shows used to have a date. Now they say coming soon. And that is, you know, a little shift. But again, we already talked about Bob Iger um, and, you know, making moves on Disney Plus to kind of spread it out a little bit. Um, David, I do want to bring up one good Marvel story, a great mm-hmm. Marvel story, actually. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 will be the longest Guardians of the Galaxy movie by almost 30 minutes, two hours, 29 minutes. It gets into that top tier of longer MCU movies. Anytime you cross that 225 line, you are in like a... Oh, longer than expected MCU yeah. movie. David, your thoughts on a longer Guardians for the farewell tour? Good. Yeah. I mean, I th- I was kind of expecting, I would say, two and a half hours um, for this movie around there. And it looks like it will be teetering around that two and a half hour range, you know, as they finish up uh, editing. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I think this movie needs it just because for, for a few reasons. Uh, one, they have a lot of heavy lifting to do with Gamora being back into the fold. This new version of Gamora. I feel like they have a lot of kind of work to do and stories to t- and story to tell in terms of getting that to an interesting emotional place, you know, because this is a new iteration of Gamora, one that's from a different time and now brought into this, this new era of Guardians, and she seems to be in most of the movie, you know, so it's on its back to make another billion dollars. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> um, and the other reason is because this is the end of a story. And I think what's so awesome about Guardians 3 is that this truly is going to be the end of a story for, for this team. You know, there may be a Guardians 4 or whatever. Right. You know, I imagine if they ever were to do another Guardians, it would be Guardians of Galaxy colon subtitle of some kind. Something you know, else. Exactly. Get, get out of the volume thing. That was James Gunn's deal. That was his baby. And he has a nice he's going to have a nice trilogy all wrapped up. And. And we haven't seen the Guardians in a solo film in a while. They've been in Thor. They've been in Avengers. There was the holiday special. So I think making this a long, drawn out, awesome, emotional end of a trilogy is what this franchise deserves. And I think what fans want this. This to me is a it's different than like a the Mario movie. That movie is going to be 90 minutes long. And that sounds like so much fun. And maybe it's a little short, but that's going to be like, you know, that, that was a great. Hopefully that was a great time, you know. And for Guardians, like, give me more, right? I want, this is the last time opportunity I get with these characters. It's been six years since your last individual solo film. Give me, give me all, I want all of it. So I think, you know, 230, 245, hell, three. I don't know. I don't think any fans would be against that in this case. You know, other movies, of course, you know, we don't need, um, you know, with the Marvels to be three hours long. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3? Sure. Right? Fuck Bring it, it on. It sounds <laughs> yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah. No way home did it. Like, uh, yeah, it's exactly. it's super exciting. Uh, and you know, you know, I'm excited. Everybody knows how excited I am for this movie. When when this calendar turns to like mid-April-ish, you're not gonna be able to shut me up about Guardians. Like it's gonna be, it's gonna be a whole thing. And I'm very excited for it. But David, you know my first thought. You know, more runtime in the movie means. Maybe one or two more tracks on the soundtrack, baby. We are getting the awesome mix volume three. Something people aren't talking about enough. Two of the greatest movie soundtracks of all time. We are getting volume three. I can't not wait. Um, one last piece of news. Uh, you know, we talked a lot about a bunch of Marvel drama, and it's very serious and sad and confusing and depressing. This drama in dc it is all those things but it's also something i'm more ex- not excited i feel comfortable talking about this because i got some things to say you know what i'm saying zachary levi and dwayne johnson are at a feud 
it's it's public. Instagram got involved, which is Uh-oh. you know that's when you know it gets real. Yeah, we hop on Instagram live. What a move by Zachary Levi doing the Rock's signature move with the Instagram live to get all this out. Um, here's the long and short of it. In the post credit scene for Shazam 2 Fury of the Gods, um, Harcourt and Geronimo, Chiconimos, Aronimos, Bearded yep. Yeah, the bearded guy. Yeah. They show up and try to recruit <laughs> Zachary Levi into the Justice Society, who, of course, we saw in Black Adam with Hawk, uh, Hawkman and Dr. Fate, etc. Mm-hmm. Originally, the original plan was that was going to be both Aldous Hodge's Hawkman and Cyclone from the Justice Society. And they were supposed to appear. The Rock said no. The Rock and executive producer on Black Adam said, you cannot use those characters. I will also not appear in your movie. You will not appear in my movie. And Zachary Levi, those reports were swirling, you know, for about, what, two hours before Zachary Levi came out and said, yep, that's exactly how it went down. And then he got on Instagram Live and told the whole story. Um, This makes a lot of sense, you know, because that post credit scene was weird. It's weird that The Rock wasn't in that movie. We talked about it with Black Adam. Zachary Levi should have been in that post-credit scene, either with or instead of Henry Cavill. Um, And that's something we've been talking about for months now. The Rock seems to have completely ruined any sort of synergy opportunity between these two movies. And that includes making his movie maybe a little better, making this movie a little better in Fate of the DCEU, and preventing two different actors from a job. That's something that I think is wild to me, that he prevented these two actors from being in a big-ass blockbuster movie. And um, it it seems like The Rock has completely dug his heels in the ground on this. Zachary Levi's fed up with it, and he doesn't want anybody else being blamed. David, The Rock-Zachary Levi drama continues. I think all of this is just a example or just a, a a showing once again of how lost Warner Brothers in DC was and how hopefully we're getting past this at the end of the day I'm trying to kind of give people a little bit of hope we are getting past this the rock is not going to be in the next chapter he's not, he's already come out and he pretty much already waved the white flag on yep. Black Adam we're just now getting some of the crumbs you know we're getting some of the uh effects of basically what his time was trying to make his own dc universe which never made much sense you know him trying to make the dc eu whatever you want to say about him versus superman what like come on you know that that's not really what people want i get like the hype of that and how that in a very like wwe way (laughs) sounds cool but like storytelling wise, that's not really that interesting. I mean, it's it's black, black Adam and Shazam. There's so what's so weird about watching both. It's it is. I could go on. The fact that Black Adam was the last movie of 2022 for DC and Shazam was the first movie of 2023 for DC, and there are a ton of overlap in terms of the Wizard, the same character, saying Shazam, <laughs> like. Everything about it, the fact that they are so connected in the comics and in the story, but don't actually cross paths and don't actually make any story connections in this cinematic universe is beyond me. It's it's honestly crazy to think about the fact like 
just the simple fact that DC put out two movies that are very, 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 very much connected, a Black Adam film and a Shazam movie less than six months away, and they had nothing to do with each other. It's it's upsetting. And I think at the end of the day, give it a month when Shazam is done flirting about the box office and doing absolutely nothing. <laughs> And James Gunn's just going to be like, all right, let's move on. You know, maybe yeah. we'll get Zachary Levi in the Waller series. It, maybe not. But after Flash, all bets are off. You know, all bets are off. And unfortunately enough, I already said it with the box office. People are not going out to the theaters. Less people are going out to the theaters for Shazam 2 than they were for Black Adam. And you can point to several different reasons of why that could be. But at the end of the day, James Gunn is going to do what he wants to do, especially starting in 2025 with Superman Legacy. And I hope and pray that in five years, Matt, we look back and it's like, wow, that was a really rough patch. But look where we are now. Look at this universe that James Gunn's built. This is awesome. You know, this is cool. This is an actual connected universe that is exciting. And we're all looking forward to the new Supergirl movie and stuff like that. So we'll see. I'm curious if these characters ever come back. I don't think the Rocks can come back maybe ever, if anytime soon at all. Um, but I think Zachary Levi could appear. Um, I don't I don't think he might be done, but I don't think it's going to be a Shazam three. I get to see Shazam, you know, Billy Batson appear somewhere. Maybe it is in that in that Waller uh, TV show. Right. And the thing is about The Rock with this for me is I I have a zero tolerance for bullshit or being a hypocrite of any sort of way. Right. It's it's the presentation over the last three years of the DCEU and wanting this universe to work. Like how many times has the rock said we're building a universe and all these movies are great. And we all thought the rock was going to be kind of like the Kevin Feige of the DCEU. He was going to have his hand in all the movies and he, he cared about everything and the fans and the characters. When in reality, if it wasn't about him, he didn't want any part of it. And that is just not the formula that these superhero movies go in. Um, and it really just makes me not want to root for the rock in any sort of way. But you want to hear what is, um, you know, what's really sad about that situation. Hmm. He shows up at a fast and furious movie and all, all bets are off. I'm the biggest rock fan you've ever met in your life. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like if he comes back, it's going to be, I, I'll forget all this immediately. Immediately. Yeah. Like he has a goatee. He's big and stuff like that. If he's in this Fast and Furious movie, I will forgive The Rock. That's how shallow I am, but that's how much I love not just the Fast and Furious, but him in those movies. But yeah. why is he not why is he not in those movies already, David? Because it wasn't about him. And he didn't like that. Mm-hmm. Rock seems like kind of a dick. Um, but you know, the world's full of dicks, and sometimes the world's full of assassins as well. And in that horrible transition, let's move right on to yeah. I'm thinking we're reviewing John Wick. Goodbye to you, my trusted friend. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome in, welcome on, and welcome back to another review here on the Direct Podcast. We review the universes you love and this year in the jordan year of movies we are expanding that outside of marvel dc star wars and uh, game of thrones and now we are diving into many more movie universes including john wick the most of the modern 
uh, action franchises we've gotten of late. And this will be our first review here on the Direct Podcast for Chapters In. I'm Matt. That's David. And joining us today for another review. You know, he really is becoming our review correspondent. It's just because you love so damn much, Klein. And we always think that you, you would enjoy talking about stuff. Our Canadian correspondent and Direct.com superstar, Klein Felt. Klein, how are we doing? I'm doing well. I'm excited to uh, to talk about the man you send in to kill the boogeyman. I love, I, I'm so excited. Um, I'm doing good. It's a beautiful Sunday morning here in Brighton, sunny Canada. Mm. Yeah. Sunday morning, rain falling. David told me it was hot earlier. Oh, my God. It is. It is Stop hot. It. I'll, I'll give you a test. Like it's becoming oh, a trend anytime we have Clyde on to give David shit for living in Florida. It's 82 <laughs> degrees Fahrenheit, Clyde. Jeez, I don't even I don't right. even know what that means. <laughs> is that Celsius is that Kelvin? Who knows? <laughs> no, it's not Kelvin, but that's Klein, David, and Matt. Let's talk about John Wick chapter four, directed by Chad Stahelski. Uh, we just went through that whole fucking thing, guys. Stahelski, Stahelski, Chad Stahelski. Um, figure that out pretty quick. Starring a ton of fucking people, but mainly Keanu Reeves, Ian McShay, Bill Skarsgård, Donnie Yen, Shmir Anderson, Clancy Brown, and the incomparable Lawrence Fishburne, who may or may not know he has been in an Ant Man movie. You know, that's it's on the table. <laughs> we, don't we don't know if he knows, you know what I mean? Um, but he showed up and he showed out. Let's get into our overall thoughts here on John Wick chapter four, the fourth installment of the series. I usually go to the guest first. We're throwing curveballs today because Klein's been on the reviews a lot. You know what I mean? Let's shake it up. Let's make it happen. David, I want to go to you first. Your overall thoughts for John Wick chapter four. Yeah, I thought this movie was the best of the franchise so far. Um, I think they used the nearly three hour runtime to perfection, which I can't believe I'm saying. I didn't feel like it dragged. I brought Jasmine, who had never seen a John Wick movie. Not once. We we park, we park, we get to the theater, we park, and she goes, All right. So in one sentence, describe what John Wick's about. So I go on for about 10 sentences about what John Wick's about. And then we walk in and she's like, Okay, got it. She loves um Skarsgard. She loves sure. it. Like huge Hollywood crush of her. So she's like, Oh, I'll go see it. Pennywise is in it. Okay, let's go. Mm-hmm. And she loved every second of that. She's like giggling next to me just when he'd go on screen. I'm like, all right, cool. You're getting you're getting what you need out of this. But then by the end, she's like, that was awesome because the film is based around these top A plus five out of five star action sequences that I've literally never seen in anything else that they were filmed to perfection, choreographed to perfection and then edited to perfection. I, I was enamored with almost every single action sequence some more than others i suppose but it was such a fun ride and my theater i saw an imax which i think was like a really cool experience you could almost like get more you felt like you were getting the most out of it because it was this like very large screen and everyone in my theater was having a great time you could just tell like everyone's there it was like a four in the afternoon showing on friday when it first came out there's a good amount of people in there you know maybe they had the day off or whatever it was a wonderful time and a great movie. And I think it honestly, I really do believe it took it up a notch for John Wick because I, I think it tried to do so much and it prevailed at it. I think they had a really smart strategy going into the film and I loved it. I I, I actually think I like the second one more than the third, which is kind of a hot take. But I think the fourth is, is the best one so far. It, it's definitely my favorite. Fine, Phil. Uh, this is one of the best action movies ever made. 
Yep. Uh, like the more I sit with it, the just the way you talked about it, David, every, I would say 15, 20 minutes, something happened where I, I almost out loud said, wait, how did they do that? Yeah. And I think that's the exactly. most impressive thing about this movie. This really, really feels like a everything in the kitchen sink kind of movie. It feels yeah. like they <laughs> went to the whiteboard and wrote down hundreds of things. John Wick on a horse. John Wick doing this. Doorbell fight. I don't doorbell know. And, oh, so and good. they hit every one of them. I don't know what else they do with this franchise. Like that's the that's the I feel like this was they got it all out there. The thing I love about the John Wick movies is they they are very iterative. They start with this little nut in the first movie. It's a dog or dog's dead. He's got to go on a revenge tour. And we start getting little tendrils of world building, just little things. We go to the continental. We learn that. Then the second movie, it's like, okay, like we learn more about the high table. We learn about markers and this and that. And then the third movie, it really blows up. And this, I think, goes even bigger. Like, And they have this like... I described it to we were watching it for the first or my fiance was watching the franchise for the first time with me this week. And I described it to her as it's Harry Potter meets assassins like that. And that's exactly what it is because it, it's got this like hidden assassin wizarding world, I guess. Mm -hmm. That is yeah. so cool. I love the almost just like Shakespearean melodrama of everything. It is just, it's like so over so the top. <laughs> so it's so, yeah, it's so over the top. And everything has like eight or nine unnecessary steps, but it's just so cool. Mm -hmm. And that's the, that's the biggest, I think, compliment I can give this movie is it is so intrinsically cool. It is like, I don't know, you hooked yourself up to a car battery, listened to Daft Punk and read Shakespeare for three hours. And fuck yeah. And, and, and like, and that's the highest compliment I can give it. I don't mean that as a, as a negative. It is incredible what they've done. And you can see the blood, sweat, and tears that went into this thing. Yeah. Matt, what hook did you yourself, think? Hook yourself up to a car battery, listen to Daft Punk and read Shakespeare. Let's invade France. Like, that's, <laughs> I could run through a brick wall right now. <laughs> like, like watching um, anime. Yeah, <laughs> this movie is anime, and oh, that's yeah. that's what I think. This movie is such a shout out to me. Something that I feel like David and I have been talking about for a long time here on this podcast. Um, a year, maybe a year and a half ago, we had a whole discussion on this podcast about like what things um, th does a movie do that gets you excited? Where do you find the most value in a movie? And for some people, it's the story. For some people, it's the action sequences. For some people like me, it's the characters. I'm a big character guy. If you got good characters, higher floor. Um, and all those different things. I think another element that I don't think it's talked about enough is commitment. Commitment to a style or a tone or an idea. If you commit 110% in a movie the way that John Wick Chapter 4 does, you get away with things that other movies that don't commit don't get away with. Notice that a couple weeks ago we got in here and talked about Shazam and we were very, you know, fine, you know, whatever, or, or man, that sucked. It's because there was no real commitment to a vision. This is such hyper commitment to a vision. I don't care that John Wick says six things this entire movie. I don't <laughs> care that there's one scene with a plot in it. 
And then the rest of the movie is just action sequences. I don't care about that. I don't care that the rules and new characters that pop up aren't consistent and don't make sense because they committed so much to this being a video game with action sequences that go on for 30 minutes. And that is why you're here. That is what you're here to watch that you buy in. It, when they commit 110%, the audience accepts that this is a cartoon, this is a video game, this is an anime, etc. The Fast and Furious have been doing it for years. And it wasn't until they really committed to being superhero movies with cars that they really started turning it up. And then yeah. they got hyper-ridiculous, and now we're on the other end of it. John Wick and Fast and Furious I find so many similarities to because the only objective that these directors have is what's the coolest thing we can do with a car or a gun or a nunchuck or a waterfall or how many different colored fights can we have throughout this movie? Because there's a red one, a green one, a blue one, a yellow one, a white one. There's all of them. And it's just the commitment to the ridiculous allows the audience to accept it. And when you do intrinsically cool, (laughs) like that's the best way to put it. It's just awesome and this movie is awesome and i loved it i loved every second of it and i can't wait to dive into it we're gonna dive into the spoilers right now but we're gonna do it a little differently because there isn't a ton of plot in this movie there isn't a ton of character development in this movie john wick i swear to god says less than 20 things i would argue most john wick character development in a john wick movie was in this movie we we get there's some of the stuff he does say and some of the things we get is like i think builds upon where we've been with him very well sure yeah and and, and this being the fourth movie spanning over what a month of job wick's life like like i feel a couple very... of weeks i think i know I that like tell. the first three is like 10 days the first the first three are definitely like a week and a half for sure <laughs> i don't know how long it's been since this one hmm that's a good question i, I didn't really think of it that way i, I like can't we know tell him so well because passing. of it though <laughs> yeah well because like, like it's weird with the, these movies even like fast and furious when like we travel from different like parts of the world 100 <laughs> like, yeah. how much time just passed man like people forget we... that they drove a car out of one building into another building something i could see them doing at john wick yeah definitely so um we're gonna dive into the different characters and action sequences that's how we're gonna divide this not good popcorn not bad popcorn we're gonna talk about some of the characters and then we're going to get to the top plays because this is a sports center episode. This is a sports center review right here. John Wick chapter four. But first, let's dive into the characters and let's start with the man himself, the man of the hour, Keanu Reeves as John Wick. If you would have told me that I would watch a movie where the main character's big comeback moment is, yeah. And then I'm emotional when he dies at the end. <laughs> I would have told you you were crazy. But here we are, Keanu Reeves as John Wick. Klein, tell me about this guy in the pantheon of action heroes. I mean, it's you joke he has six lines in this movie, but I think that it's a credit to Keanu and his performance because that's the thing. A lot of people, oh, he only has six lines in this movie. I think acting is a lot more than sure. just what you have to say. I think this movie specifically puts John Wick and Keanu Reeves on the like born bond level. I think that this is the the physical commitment that this man Keanu Reeves put into this movie particularly and this franchise is absolutely incredible. This dude's 58 years old. Like it's crazy. I, crazy. I, I can't I can't so, believe it. I know. Well, 
I well, mean, no, I mean, like relevant. to do what he's doing is what I mean. Like fifty-eight yeah. is that's yeah. insane. No, and I would bullshit. argue. I know. I, I know some people bring up the name Tom Cruise, and oh, he's in his sixties doing Mission Impossible movies. I would argue a lot of this more demanding than what even Tom Cruise is doing, where he's throwing himself off cliffs and stuff. Keanu's like doing car foo. I don't like. Mm-hmm. I I yeah. don't even know, but it's in a unreal. suit. <laughs> yeah. in That's the coolest looking suit he's oh. just he's an enigma man and i love i joked about it before we came on here i love how much he plays into the keanu reevesness of it all mm-hmm. and like everyone in this movie is acting their asses off i think of Lawrence fishburne going <laughs> long live the king and, and whereas keanu there's like he is just so yeah I think I'm going to need a gun. Like, it's just, it's, he's, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. And it just, I think gives, it, it gives credit to everyone else involved that, and I guess him as well, that this movie can include a performance like that from its leading man. And yet I'm still going, oh my God, what, like, what did Keanu Reeves just do? Like, this is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Very Vin Diesel-esque. Uh, David, your thoughts on John Wick after four movies and uh, a Hall of Fame career? What I loved about watching the movie with Jasmine for the first... It was her first time seeing a John Wick anything, like I said earlier. She looked whispers in my ear at one point in the movie, halfway through. I like. She goes, I like how John Wick is more of an entity than a person. And I'm like, yeah. hell yeah. I love, <laughs> you, he's, an, he's an idea, man. I'm like, you get it. Because <laughs> the way they talk, because it's true. It's like the way they talk about John Wick, like the way um, Skarsgård like, talks about John Wick. And people talk about him. It's like he's more than just this guy. And that's so good. That's Baba where, like, Yaga. The world, the, exactly. Like, they like, mentioned that, you know, like, <laughs> that's, this, that, that's this guy. And it's so true. Like the character itself, I think, going into Keanu the acting and his performance in the choreographed fights is just so good like and there's character to it that's what's so cool about these movies is that each person like main character like specifically I'd say him and Donnie Yen in this movie um have such specific like action styles and um I guess kind of characteristics of how they fight and I always forget and then remember when I'm watching John Wick I love how John always like really finishes them off like he always puts like an extra bullet in their head and it's so consistent you know they've gotten so good now in the fourth movie of like making how john fights in these different situations so consistent with every other movie like he has such a way about him and how he goes about himself and how he's able to like outsmart people quickly and just his his accuracy is always pinpoint and he's always able to like finish them off and like just unclicking the you know the magazine and putting a new one in it's so cool and I, I honestly, one thing just about the movie as a whole and specifically like Keanu Reeves, because he's in practically every scene, how pain, <laughs> how painstaking it would be to film this movie, just yeah. how painstaking it would be. Like there's so many action sequences we're going to talk about today where it's like, how did they even do that? And like, how long did that take? Because everything seems so like minimal CGI, you know, like certain stuff, but it all seems like I could be watching at like a universal like stage, like watch them film that you know um so really cool i I think keanu reeves like i think what's brilliant about these movies is that they play to their strengths Mm -hmm. on some sometimes unlike fast and furious where it's like ah quit with the talk like quit with the talking you know we don't need to hear (laughs) about family for 15 hours (laughs) like didn't some though shut up you know like we don't like just just, they almost need to lean back into more of this where they tell 
They tell him a three-hour-long story with minimal dialogue. I would love to read the script for this movie. What would it say? <laughs> what would it look like? Yeah. <laughs> but like, seriously, what, what is there descriptions of everything happening? Like, how does it even work? I, I bet I you would it'd be longer than most, like, than most dialogue-heavy scripts. It'd because be like a Bible. Yeah, because it would be it would be all of these like contingencies and legit like logistics mm-hmm. and. Uh, John throws himself down 200 sets of stairs and so and so slide. It's not just describing talking, you're describing the action of 30 people on screen at once and the environment that they're in because yeah, it plays exactly. so much into it. Yeah, All I might, yeah. I honestly might buy the Blu ray for this movie just to see the behind the scenes, you know, or yeah. wherever I can get my hands on that because I would be so fascinated. Because you see these superhero movies and like you see like the choreograph choreographers, like you know, planning things out. Like I remember the No Way Home. You know, all these uh, stunt guys were co- planning out all these fights and stuff. And then you see mm-hmm. it in real time. That would take forever with this movie. I mean, the whole thing is fights. So anyway, and Keanu leads the yeah. whole way. I just read he does 90% of his stunts. Good on him. That is amazing. It, it I, sho- That shocks me. It, like, it, 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 it's, it's, it's insane. It's tell. crazy. While you're watching it, there is a real, like... It shows. Yeah, it shows. You know, you can really see that. It doesn't It doesn't feel like there's too many cuts because, like, we're trying to, like, mm-hmm. not see his face. It's beautifully done. The practicality shows the same way the Batmobile practicality shows in the Batman. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like you, you, you really can tell. Like, the Eternals, like, like, when that first trailer came out, you really could tell the difference and it's just it's palpable and it's exciting and uh you mentioned looking at the behind the scenes david there's already one behind the scenes clip that i that i had forgotten about this is years ago that this was released on instagram and tiktok and shit do you remember the video of them recording this movie or filming this movie and and keanu reeves is helping the the sound crew or whoever carry equipment up those stairs Mm. you guys remember that no, like, no. Like there's a it. clip. It came out like during COVID where Keanu Reed, they were filming this thing and all of the PAs and stuff were carrying this equipment up the stairs because good God, do we got to get up these stairs? And Keanu Reeves, there were two boxes helping them carry stuff up. And a PA comes up is like, hey, like, what the hell are you doing? Let me take that for you. I would have get fired. It's probably what that guy was thinking. <laughs> By the way, um, he was like, hey, <laughs> let me get that. And Keanu shakes him off. No, I'll help. I'll do me. After seeing the stairs seat, oh, that's insane, dude. Yeah. <laughs> like, those are stairs, my guy. I love that. Um, he's a modern day Terminator. That's something I'm realizing, I think. Like, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Arnold Schwarzenegger didn't speak in those movies a lot either. Some of the best action movies of all time. Arnold did it with presence and intimidation, Keanu does it with energy. And just a style. There's just something to him. It's a rough around the edges, but calculated style that drives the entire movie. And you guys really hit on all the points I wanted to hit up. Like the fighting language. Um, I love when Marvel does that. When Natasha fights differently than Cap, that fights differently than uh Sam, that fights differently than Bucky and all that stuff. I love mm-hmm. I love when you're able to define those types of things without the red one, the blue one, the green one. You know what I mean? Like, like I like when they're able to really, uh, I think of Shang-Chi and his dad, the way that they use the rings. Like, Shang-Chi kind of dances with him a little bit, and his dad's just hitting it over and over again. They have that so well throughout all four of these movies. And with John Wick really being the only constant, like, nobody ever returns in these movies. Another thing I'm learning here, other than Winston, nobody ever comes back to fight again. You know, I'm waiting for comment. Where is he? Um, <laughs> 
Did he yeah. die? <laughs> no, he had a bullet on a he train. Had, he, Man, he had the knife in his in his chest. Yeah, I he had a knife in his chest, and he goes, "You can you can take it out, but you'll bleed." Oh, that's right. I'll be seeing you, John. Yeah. Okay. Did Halle Berry die? John Wick is like you guys said, officially in the pantheon. Um, and I had a buddy who was like, man, I wish this is what James Bond was. And I love how it's so different, though, because like you can't do James Bond without the romance or the the sexiness or the the suave espionage stuff. I'm so glad there is never any romance in this movie. There's never any espionage ever. Nobody's ever sneaking around anywhere. You know what I mean? It's it's Spider-Man uh, PS4 when you're when you're trying to take out the entire warehouse without getting caught. But as soon as you get caught, you are jumping into the middle of the group and getting everything out of the way. Yeah. And that's what yep. this entire movie is. It's awesome. John Wick's the goat. Let's go through uh, these other characters. Um, let's do some quick hits. I want to hear your guys' thoughts. The incomparable it man himself. Donnie Yang comes back as Kane. David, um, uh, I think second or third bill in this movie. What do we think of Donnie Yen's um, entry into the John Wick villain pantheon history? Yeah, no, I thought he was great. I thought Kane was a super cool character. And it was I enjoyed the complexity with this character, even though it was simple. The complexity of the fact that he helps him up the stairs at the end, you know, thinking that through and being like, wait, why is he helping? Oh, OK, that makes sense. You know, um, I like these kinds of guys where we you just what I love about these movies is that it's like we we start the first film with him being retired. So we never got the John Wick like in his prime, quote unquote. That's what's so cool about these where it is him like older. You know, we never really saw him like at a younger age. And what I like <laughs> is that with because of that, it's like, oh, yeah, I've known this guy forever. And we believe it. You know, mm-hmm. we totally believe it. Hey, I have known this guy a long time. We used to work together. I don't want to do this. You know, we used to be pals. And I don't need to have 20 years of history of John Wick movies to understand. I got it. You know, and I totally get that with Donnie Yen. I think his fighting style was so cool. You know, partially, I guess, because his character is blind, but also just because, God, Donnie Yen's such a badass, man. Mm-hmm. Just, and, and the way he has, like, his sword was so cool. I just love, in this movie, they really expanded out the characters and gave them all something unique to do. And I'm really excited to talk about the tracker uh, later as well. Cannot wait. Um uh yeah, Donnie Yen. Shout out playing blind characters left, right, and center. I know. Yeah, right. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> so weird, right? And like, being like, so cool at doing it too. Like the coolest blind people I've ever seen in my life. Did yeah. you guys think for a second Donnie Yen might actually be blind? Like, there was yes. a moment. Like, yes. Right, because like the last two things I've seen him in, blind as hell <laughs> and, and proficient, and badass. Uh, yeah. <laughs> blind. Your thoughts on Kane here? Uh, you know the glasses, the the turtlenecks, the whole deal. Oh, the turtle! Shout out to turtlenecks in this movie, man! Oh my god, Liam Crowley (laughs) would be proud. Um, I, I, I mean, dude, what, what more is there to say about Donnie yet? Like, this is he's one of the action action movie goats, and they got him in this movie, and he is very much like I'm leaving this movie going. I would watch the hell out of a Kane movie. Like, I would like I feel the level I feel about Keanu's John Wick that I do about Donnie Yen's Kane after one film. Uh, and something that there's really, really quickly that I really like about this character is this is like kind of the yin to John Wick's yang. They're both mm-hmm. retired. John Wick fighting for something that has died. His wife, he's fighting to get back to that. And Donnie Yen fighting for his daughter, who is mm-hmm. very much alive. And they both want their freedom. 
whether it be does John Wick really want his freedom or does he want his freedom from like this world from this life yeah. I guess like from being alive uh it, it's it's super cool because they are both fighting for something but it is the complete opposite of what they're fighting for which I really really like and I've always liked the the killmonger like characters the bad guys who are the heroes of their own story and it's kind of weird to call Donnie Yen's character a bad guy in this he right. but he, he is just he is doing what is necessary to get to the thing that he holds dear which I, I i really dig and he's just got the cool like the way the sword it's like that he, you're like oh wait he stabbed that guy like it's so quick it's just like a needle yeah. it's like in out and it's it's so it's so cool yeah he's yeah. he's awesome it, it was very um I, I liked how when it was him against the guy from wolverine i have his name written down here um ba, 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 uh Hiroyuki Sonata, um, those two when they were going against each other, like the little quick, almost like scorpion bites with his sword yeah. and stuff, it made it feel like Painful. a karate kid match. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you get a strike, you step out. You know what I mean? Like get in, get out kind of thing. And I, I liked the precision and professionalism of that. That was cool. Donnie in, he's just, he crushes. This might be my favorite John Wick character of all time. Just because like, he brings so much humor to this movie as well. Throughout yeah, the whole thing. really funny. This asshole yeah. just flip over another two. Like, like that kind of stuff. The first time we see him in an action sequence, he's just sitting there eating noodles. And we <laughs> he's get, like, ah, shit. They cut, I, him, I they cut to him a couple times during that, and I'm like, wait, is, is he? He is. He is just eating noodles. Those yeah. noodles, you got to think, though. Continental in Japan, right? Probably We're, fire. Probably crazy fire like he's probably like fire. oh i've been waiting around for these i gotta get this in before i go i i love that yeah it, it'd be like going to your favorite restaurant not getting something you know he probably yeah. loves that shit I, I i'm with you on that but it's it's very uh deadpool um or it's very it's you know that that's a comic book character walking through a war zone knowing he could turn it on whenever he wants to and and we get the moment hey can you do your job uh, you know, stretches it out a little bit, you know, gets it going and then bang doorbell fight. Like it's, so it's cool. just so it, he is just such a, my kind of character in these types of movies. I was such a fan. I liked how it wasn't always the stick telling him where things were. He leaned a lot, a lot of leaned leaning, a lot, uh, did a lot of stuff. listening too. like, he was mm-hmm. never the thing I liked about him, especially in like the gunfights is he was never these movies were used to seeing the character always on the offensive. He was never the first one to shoot. It was yeah, always like, be. yeah, because, okay, let me hear where you are. And then boom, you're dead. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, it's it's so like calculated. It's like, what are right. you doing? Oh, that's what you're doing. It's very, very, it's so cool. And it, I'm sure it makes absolutely no sense. Like you sure. think you really start to think about it and the reality breaks down entirely, but it's like so cool. Like a blind, the blind assassin, the blind samurai. Like it's so, it's, it's dope. But like, there's a real thing to be said there about this franchise. Like when I go back to talk about the commitment, we don't care what their backstory is. We f- we buy that they know each other a long time because we've seen three movies of him knowing somebody a long time. You know, right. every single bad guy he's known for a while. And when it comes to like the whole, how does he do this while being blind? Like, why should we like think that he's able to do this? Because Bill Skarsgård hired him. You know what I mean? Like, we know how high up Bill Skarsgård's character is on this ladder. We know that the high table hired him directly to deal with this. If he wants him, he's good at what he does. Like, like we've just bought into the credibility of these people because they've committed so much into the ridiculous nature of it. This isn't the first crazy bad guy we've seen. Won't be the last. We have ballerinas coming. 
that's going to be insane. It's going to be nuts. I'm scared. Um, Kane's awesome. Moving over to the clown himself, Bill Skarsgård, uh, as the Marquis. I don't think his name is Marquis. He's the Marquis, right? Yeah, Marquis. No, his something. name. It's some French name. I was I was reading. I was looking at it the other day or yesterday. Love that he was right exactly that. Yes, his little oh, fucking the... chain. <laughs> What's Skarsgård in real deal? life? Like Scottish or something? Swe- Swedish? No. Oh. Yeah, is he one of the Skarsgårds? He is. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're some Nordic nation, Swedish or Finnish. Because I was like, thinking, I'm like, he has a different accent, but he does like yeah. an American accent in a lot of movies. And then now he's got this French thing going on. Super, oh, <laughs> the French accent. Uh, he, he we talk about good. a lot of great outfits in this movie. He had the outfits, man. Like yeah. little, just a little this oh guy. My, yes. The, <laughs> the what it'd be like a tuxedo with one extra just overcoat and a mod, like it, like flu. some chains. It's just it was ridiculous. <laughs> I, I, yeah. He's the perfect awesome. villain, like he's in awesome. this. Mm-hmm. My favorite bit about him was that room he had with all the artwork, like the museum oh, or whatever. Yeah. And it's like this like 20 it's, foot tall. That gets back to the melodrama of it all. Like, and Winston walks into this room and he goes, hmm, the, what's, I forgot the name of the painting, something of tyranny. And like, it's just all this just metaphor on metaphor. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so, so ridiculous, good. but it's so good. It's at least 90 seconds. He's walking down that fucking hallway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, that's the big Lebowski shit. Like, oh, yeah. that is so funny man i i laughed that that's my favorite part of the movie is how big that goddamn room is yeah and i heard people on twitter talk about like the scale and whatever of this movie i'm like how the scale's been big you know what i mean the whole world was coming after john wick in the last one all this stuff that room alone is so star wars and awesome <laughs> and oh i loved every second of it i do want to say one thing with Skarsgård. my favorite element of him as a villain in this movie was how he physically was not a threat he was no. only a threat verbally and through power. He doesn't at the certain point you're like, oh, cool, they are gonna be the ones that duel. And then he's like, no, I'm just gonna sponsor Kane yeah. and it's not even gonna be me. His hands off. He shoots a gun once. Uh, we get the one little like the one time I was physically imposed, yes, was the knife in the hand. And the oh. was he if if it's for you, you take the knife out. If it's for me, you take your hand out. <laughs> She's yeah. like, oh my god, okay. Like that, that was, was that was the only time I was ever physically intimidated um by like what he could actually do with his hands but the rest of it is yeah it's just it's intimidation by power intimidation by the resources he has my only note on this movie is that scene don't need it get out of here not a fan gruesome i did really like the from that we get the the, dog aspect of it yeah i like the um from that we get the tracker only ever uses his like arm to rest the gun on from there on, which I think looks so cool. I was wondering oh, right. why the fuck they kept emphasizing that because he doesn't have a fucking hand. Well, cause this... yeah. Cause his hand is like split down the yeah. middle. Let's get to it. Let's get to my MVP of this movie. Yes. Let's yes. get to Shamir Anderson as an IMDB says he's the tracker. No, no, no. This is nobody wrong. You guys got the day wrong. He's Mr. Nobody. nobody. no, no, he's not Mr. Nobody. That's a different movie. <laughs> they say Mr. Nobody at it one point. It pissed me Someone off, David. It. it pissed me off when they said it. He kept saying his name was Nobody. I was like, don't do it. Mr. Nobody. Fuck. Um, the fat suit does it. <clears throat> oh, but man, I'm. we'll talk about Mr. Nobody coming up here in Fast and Furious. But um, the tracker, Mr. Nobody, Shamir Anderson, this fucking kid, dude. He's fantastic. Incredible. He is fantastic. He was 
awesome. I loved every single word he said. I love that stupid little fucking hat he wears. And I love how his backpack. beanie. Yeah. I like how his backpack ended up being like a meg suit at some point. Like, like it was insane. Uh, David, what did we think of Shamir Anderson? First time I've seen him in anything. I think same. And he stole the show for me. I'm right there with you. He was like you said, Kane was your maybe maybe liked him the most tracker. Nobody. He was the guy for me. I'm like, this character is so fascinating, you know, like and the relationship he had with John leading to the final scene with the dog and not shooting and and John turning and shooting the freaking henchman for the marquee. Like, this is awesome. And just the way. First off, he's the tracker, so he tracks. He has a he's very proficient in tracking, right? He has his like notebook. It's very I love like, the notebook. I love the, the notebook. So cool. Then we get to see him in action, and it's like, oh, this guy's actually really good. You know, he's he's really proficient with this gun. It's it's powerful. You know, I loved how each person had their own unique flavor, style of like how they fought. And the trackers was very specific too. You know, like the guns he would use and the way he used his body and the video game dog that he has, right? Where it's like all of a sudden you, you hit L1 and the dog attacks the nuts and you hit L2 and the dog goes for the throat. So good. I'm like, this is awesome. It, I thought he was perfect. And even looking back from the beginning, yeah, he's an emotional support animal. It's so good. Like just from there on, he There's is no just dogs a, allowed in here. He is a wonderful <laughs> addition to this. And Perfect. going through all this, especially I would say now that with the tracker, I think what's so cool about John Wick and what Lionsgate as a studio is now built with this franchise and and expanding into the you know spinoff movie Ana de Armas. This is a cinematic universe now. They can really expand. Like this is a universe, and it feels so big because there's all these continentals and. The high table really can never go come down because it's so big and it's so ambiguous. You know, that's what I love so much about this is there's so many untapped, I don't know, elements and so much untapped potential with just this universe as a whole. And I could see the tracker being in several other things, even if it's not specifically a John Wick five or whatever, because he's such a unique, cool character. And honestly, this actor, uh, Shamir Anderson, could carry something. Speaking of that knife scene, wonderful acting by him. Oh my gosh, I, I could feel his pain. That's mm-hmm. great. And some and some people would overact that scene, but he played it perfect. Mm-hmm. I agree, Clint. The thing I really liked about him was this whole time with John Wick, you're always like, he, no matter what situation you're in, he is going to get away. And, and people, they lose track of him and this and that. The thing I liked about this character is everyone else, when they get to John Wick, they're, I, we need to kill him tracker no like for a lot like we in osaka he comes face to face with john wick could very much kill him and goes yeah the number isn't high enough yet right in and there, lets him go and it's just it's that i i think that's so it's so cool that this guy comes out of nowhere and we have no idea who he is we have no idea what sort of ties he has and he's just just seems to be some guy who's just really good at getting one step ahead of everyone else and mm-hmm. my favorite scene with him is the the very end when he's just like sitting there like laughing drinking beer with a dog yeah. love that like just just like because he's us beer. he's us he is the yes. audience like when we get the big bang moment at the end and he laughs he's he like i know it's he's great i think that i'd never seen this actor in anything as well and i would not be surprised if from this movie every studio in hollywood is calling him and going what do you want like here's what here's what we got like what what can we put you in Mm -hmm. 
that there, there could be there could be some situations that come out over the next few weeks that I will be throwing Shamir Anderson's name into. That's that's just the only thing I'll say about his future because he he was awesome. And uh, Klein, you took you took it right out of my mouth. The fact that he has a beer at the end. Everybody else does wine, I assume, right? France. Everybody else has a shot of wine, which I love how much they ceremoniously drink in this these movies. Yeah. Um, and he just has a beer because he wants to be a part of it, but that's what he has in his fucking backpack. His beer, right. and he's just everything. He's the opportunistic assassin. Oh yeah, we get it how... with the the phone calls that he has with Bill Skarsgård in yeah. Paris, right? Mm-hmm. Where he's the talking thing. about yeah, he goes thirty million hangs up, and Bill Skarsgård's <laughs> going what? <laughs> like... yeah. And 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 he's he's non committed <laughs> to anything. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't. You guys took a drink at the exact same time just now. Um, he's non committed to everything. So like. He doesn't care if Bill Skarsgård hates him or whatever. He's not going to go after and kill him. He's got other shit to deal with. And it's just, I, I just, I love how superhero all this is where we get the giant bad guy. We get the martial arts blind bad guy, the daredevil character. Now yeah. here's your Scarlet Witch, you know, and Mr. Nobody, the opportunistic, you know, always just there at the right time. Black Panther uh, breaks through the rubble, goes, gets the ship. Ah, there's, there's freaking Nat. You know what I mean? And all that different stuff. It's just, I love how he's the spy of this movie, but he's nobody. He's just a guy in the crowd. Awesome. Schmears and kicks ass. Um, we're going to combine two characters here. Winston and the Bowery King, the most reoccurring characters in this franchise, not named uh, John Wick. Klein, pick which one you want to rant about here. Winston or Lawrence Fishburne, the king. I, I mean, I, I don't really have a ton to say about either of them other than that. I love both. I love both these characters so much. I'll go to Lawrence Fishburne. Just the whole Bowery King thing is just is <laughs> yeah, infinitely yeah. so cool, right? Like these these this network of quote unquote homeless people who you see everywhere. When actuality, they're all connected and they all actually have pretty infinite resources. It seems it's so but good. They're the eyes and the ears of this world, man. And I love Lawrence Fishburne. We talk about the melodrama and the overacting. Lawrence Fishburne is hamming it up and mm-hmm. I am eating every goddamn slice of it. Like it is <laughs> amazing. The long live the king is it's so it's so bad, but it's so good. Yeah. He's Willem I, Dafoe in Spider-Man 1. Yeah. Different movie. <laughs> Different movie. <laughs> I gotta say, and I like how Klein picked Bauer King because Winston to me, he's such a great character in these films. You know, he's uh, such a good like father figure of you know for, for john wick but but, but is he like but it's, it's not, so yeah, right it's, it's son. It, it, is he's doing things for is he is he with john or is yeah. he aligned just with himself he's, or he's just playing the game like winston knows how to play the game of the high table and whatever else you got going on in this universe you know like you know the last time i saw you or the last time you saw me you shot me seven times or whatever it was and then it's like john wick looks at him at one point it's like of course, you know, oh, it's always something, you know, and he just kind of looks at him and shrugs is like, yeah, I mean, I got to get a little bit of my own. I think Winston um, is he's one of my favorite characters in these movies. and I'm glad they haven't killed him off because I, I love how he is that continual kind of presence. And you never know with him. You, you get, you know, understand the character, but you're never quite sure what he's working towards. And I love him and now even the tracker a little bit, all these different characters besides like the main big bad, the marquee where John Wick has these like adversaries but also allies like depending upon where the sun is and the stars are aligning that day like who are you to me and it always changes and john wick's always ready for it so yeah i mean the fact that winston ended the third episode or you know third chapter 
basically kills him, at least tries to. And then this one, it's like, oh, he's kind of like an ally. They're, they're meeting in secret. They're having those conversations. He's like his representative at like the <laughs> at the duel. You know, it's mm-hmm. so funny how he just kind of goes back and forth. And then very well in sh- chapter five, maybe. I don't know what the future holds. It'd be the total opposite. So I think that character is unique in that way. Yeah, it's it's just an exciting character they built over time. Here are the things I want. I want a Shamir Anderson, a Shamir Anderson uh tracker spin-off series. I want um cool. the Anna de Armas Ballerina movie. And I want the low table with the Bowery King and the underground homeless across the world. The low table. You know, like like that that's the vibe I get from him. He answers to nobody because he's beneath everybody, you know, and it's awesome. Um our next round of characters, um you know, I, I would say, you know, we can all pick which one we want to talk about, but I, it might be a pretty clear choice. Uh, Chidi, Mark Zerer, um is the actor. He's the like the head of Bill Skarsgård's army. Man, does he stick around for a lot of this movie? <laughs> you know what I mean? So many times I thought he was going to die. Um, we have Shiz, uh, Shimazu, played by Hir- Hiroki Sonata. Sorry. Akira, played by uh, Rina, who apparently is a giant uh, Asian pop, pop star, star, I think. Yeah. She's like a mega Kardashian level person. And I thought she was great. She's awesome. Um, She's so yeah. good. She, she can act. Very, I'm like, she I want was. more. I want more of her. Yeah. She had the uh, post credit scene, uh, the Andrew Garfield thing where he looks like he's crying at all times. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like uh, he always yeah. just got done crying. Um, <laughs> she is the Tobey Maguire, Peter Parker of this movie. Yeah. 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 Um, and then Clancy Brown played the Harbinger. What a beard on this motherfucker. You know what I mean? Good little like, character. I think, this, I think this Clancy Brown guy's got a future, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He could be pretty good. He could be pretty good. I, I remember him from when I was a kid, but not much else. Um, and then, of course, Scott Atkins, whoever the hell that is. Oh, my that God. Killa. <laughs> so this good. This is a comic Penguin book movie vibes. because Killa. You know yep. what I mean? Like, yeah. It's amazing. Uh, which one of these ones do you guys want to talk about? I want to take Akira. I think she okay. was awesome. You know, like. I liked how you talk about character development and my brain immediately went to her was like, okay, she actually had like a story, you know, and I liked how the post credit scene is her, you know, it's, there's something there. There's a future there. There, there is something they're building with her. And she was just an awesome character. Like when she jumps into action at the very beginning, she doesn't want to at all. But when she finally has to, hell yeah she, of course she's got the costume awesome. on underneath right like yeah. she's got the fight suit ready they're wearing it all day yeah, yeah always, wearing it all day. always ready and then you can tell it's the same way in like all these continentals and specifically this one they're always like ready you know oh, the dad goes through and talks to the guys that are just messing up messing around playing poker hey get ready for guests boom opens up the the refrigerators and they've got all the katanas it's so good so i think akira to me was another standout where she could have a future like her tracker these are really cool characters they're like they fleshed out a little bit that they that have so much more room to grow and her acting i thought was really good like speaking of her being like a, a singer songwriter pop star mm-hmm. it's like wow she could really act in my opinion and man when she broke out that bow and arrow I'm like this is awesome another you very unique fighting style once again yeah, it's uh, she was awesome. Uh, it's very spidery, very vengeful, very cool. Uh, Klein, which of the remaining characters would you like to touch? On? Well, I just I mean, I loved Scott Adkins. I loved that that character. They show up and I'm like, Incredible. this dude, who is this dude? And then when he actually starts fighting, it is very kingpin. Like it's just like yeah. this. This guy is yes. just going. He doesn't need a weapon. He is just going to bludgeon you to the ground. But I just want I want to give a quick shout out both to Scott Adkins and to Hiroyuki Sonata being two 
Hollywood or not Hollywood, but two action stars from their distinctive countries. Scott Atkins, a huge action star in the UK. Sonata, a huge action action star um, across the Pacific, and getting the chance to like, I don't know, get in, not get in front of Hollywood audiences because especially Sonata has been in front of Hollywood audiences, but really, really like giving them a moment to shine mm-hmm. here in this franchise. Like I loved, I love that this has kind of become the almost expendables of international action stars, mm-hmm. and, and it just you're gonna get your <laughs> moment. Common. It's gonna be cool as hell, and then we're gonna say goodbye. Yeah. Mm-hmm. International action stars and common. And We've common. Yes. Common. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lest we forget. Lest we forget. I'll be seeing uh, you, John. Yeah. Yeah. I bet. Um, Killa is like the most cartoony character this movie's the ever four had. Gold teeth is like, it's, it's awesome. Just, it's one yeah, gold angle. Way too much. Yeah. <laughs> Off angle. And his other teeth look fantastic, by the way. Right. You know what I mean? Like, what, happened? Choice. what happened to those specific 40? It's a, yeah, I don't know. His size, <laughs> nobody talks about it. Who cares? It's got um, a lair with like way too many lasers in it. it. It looks like the lair Mr. Freeze has in Batman. It really does. <laughs> like it's it's so over the top and cheesy and just works somehow. Again, back to the commitment. You're just bought in. Sure. Of course, this is the guy who killed the dad of the Russian family. Yeah, that makes total sense. No, yeah. no further questions asked. And uh, the kingpin aspect, when we already have a daredevil in the movie, is just it—it's so form fitting, and it's just awesome the way they're approaching this. And I can't get enough of it. Uh, and again, can't say it enough. Shout out Clancy Brown's fucking beard, man. I mean, it's just always awesome. He rocked a good hat in this movie too. A like fedora, the, the, the little fedora. I'm like, this, yes. you're looking good. Everyone in this movie looks fantastic. <laughs> Take it over Scars Guards outfits. <laughs> they were ridiculous the entire time. I loved them. Um, let's get into all the action sequences here in our top plays. Um, we don't have to spend too much time on the smaller ones. I do just want to mention not the hottest start of a John Wick movie, something I wanted to point out. Uh, I think a very specific slower start with the Moroccan horses scene. Anytime anybody fights in the desert, I just think to myself, how long have we been doing this? You know what I mean? How long were they riding? <laughs> you know, yeah, like it's, exactly. it's the desert. <laughs> and that guy on the cliff, you're just there. You're just <laughs> at the desert. But uh, does anybody have any thoughts on the horse scene? Really? It felt like they, they've, I mean, uh, I mean, Stahelski and Reeves have talked about it. They, they wanted to do their Lawrence of Arabia moment. Sure. Like they said, that's what this was. This was their let's go to Morocco and have, and you know what? You guys earned it. Like the rest of this movie, I think, as you said, the opening, I'm sitting there going, okay, okay. I'd seen the reviews thinking, oh, well, this interesting. And then once we get to Osaka for me is when like the keys go into the ignition. Yeah. But I'm a surprise. Yeah. (laughs) This is interesting. We go into Osaka and here we are at the Osaka continental, another continental. We just keep seeing the hotels. I love, love that. it. Give me love all it. of them. Yeah, it's show so me more. Cool. It's so video game. Oh, and I, I love, and I love how um, uh, Clancy Brown even brings up like, okay, you've taken out the New York Hong- and the New York and the Hong Kong Continental. What's the plan here? Because we keep losing hotels. Like this is still very much a part of our business. And Scar Scar's just like, we got to keep doing it. And I'm like, we about to go to every major city and see that see their continental because that would be sick and yeah. I'd be a very big fan of it. Um, the Osaka Continental, David. I want to go to you first. We got bow and arrows, we got nunchucks, and we have a blind guy wrecking people with doorbells. What What was your favorite moments uh, throughout this one? Yeah, one thing just leading up is how 
this this is a long sequence and a long scene, you know, and that's how this movie is built. It's around these long sequences. And this one is so long. You get introductions to the tracker, to Akira, to, to everyone, practically, to, you know, John Wick really in this movie, being on the rooftop, having that conversation. Sure, and I awesome. loved how eventually it all bled together and all became just one action sequence. Where at the beginning, we're all just cool. We're checking in. It's it's emotional sport animal. And then it, it you know, it does turn into what it, it turns into when the Marquis, you know, henchmen and those guys in those big giant suits, by the way, with like the the with the cool the masks. Mask. I like those guys. Those are the long nose. So Spider-Man cool. characters. Yeah. <laughs> but I gotta say, when Kane finally gets into action for the first time after slurping the noodles, like we said, and he starts putting these little things on like the refrigerators in the wall. And I'm like, what the hell is that? Is that some kind of I like thought, I thought bomb? Yeah, I'm like, like is what were they? Yeah, is it yeah. some kind of like ticker? Does he have like something in his ear that like it? That's what I, my uh-huh. brain went to. Like, uh-huh. oh, he's like an ear thing where like he'll get some sort of recognition and just ding dong. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, this is awesome! So this is the best thing ever. And I think in this, this is the first action sequence too, where we get the music, where the music is like a beautiful dance around the action. You know, where I'm thinking in the theater. This would not be as good. And you can almost like tell the mood or like it's going to get more serious in a second when the music suddenly like stops. You know, like, oh, we're not we're not going along this mm-hmm. kind of journey for a second. And uh, yeah, I would say like the doorbells was really stood out for me as well as the music and just kind of how how the sequence was executed, how everything went from like downstairs to the kitchen to upstairs to outside. Eventually, I thought it was like so well done. And once again, <laughs> would love to read the script on how they <laughs> how they wrote this out because it's just so cool. When he gets bopped outside, you think he's just in the middle of a random alley. You know what yep. I mean? It goes from something so extravagant, and now we're just outside. Like, this was the longest fight scene I've ever seen. Uh, Klein, what was your favorite part of Ahsoka? I, I, the, the doorbells, man. Like, yeah. it's I, the thing I really liked about the doorbells was the commitment to the bit where anytime it wasn't just the initial ding dongs, anytime they would pass them in the fight, you hear the ding dong going again right, and anytime right. someone walks past one and it's like oh you hear the ding dong and then he like pops up over a counter while he's fighting another guy and takes and takes a guy across the kitchen out like i think that is it's ingenious it's just so it's like how would a blind guy actually do actually make this work and it just it makes sense it's this is one of the first i mean the osaka continental as a whole the one of the first moments where i went god I hope the Academy War Awards recognize the like set design and like production crew on this movie because every single set in this film is I don't know how they made these. Like they, it mm-hmm. is incredible and I would love to know what is practical and what isn't because there especially in this continental there are these rooms that there's just LED lights everywhere and weird glass like boxes and like the training room it's like there's these weird glass pillars in this bow and arrow training room which seems very impractical but it looks dope as hell Mm -hmm. and yeah i think yeah this for me the doorbells are just they're next level is it impractical when apparently your whole job is to defend this place with all the fucking lights you know what i mean like like put you in that environment uh friend of the show tim getty's pointing out like did they do set scouting and like, like, did they find these places first and then write the movie? Because like yeah. every, everything yeah. about the environment is so important to 
the storytelling of the action. And it all comes down to the nunchucks. Like the nun, they needed Batman versus Superman. He chucks a spear and then they land there later without really any explanation. They needed to land at the nunchucks. And for whatever reason, the way we work through this building, by the time we get there, I feel like we're uh, playing zombies in ninth grade. And I find one of those fucking boxes and I, I get the uh, <laughs> what's the gun, the the toy gun and zombies back in the day. Oh, oh yeah. The, the, laser the one that looks like whatever. a water gun. Yeah. Uh, the phaser or whatever. And, and when he gets the nunchucks, I'm like, oh. It's game on. And he immediately throws one of them. And, and now he doesn't have that anymore. Now it's a single nunchuck plus a gun. Like, like it's the, okay, how can we make it cooler? How can we make it cooler? What if he just had one nunchuck and a gun? And it's all a part of the environment as well. So sick. And we move over to Berlin where we meet up with uh, Tugs, uh, Tongs, uh, which is cool to see her. Uh, John Wick's sister? Yeah, right? I don't know if it's sister. I don't but know. When they say family, it is like a, she says we took you in. So like, it's, yeah, yeah, adopted you, family. Yeah, family is whatever you make it. I guess one note quickly: the family stuff in John Wick. <laughs> man, yeah, I can always live without it. I'm like, okay, we it's it's never really fully fleshed. I love out the terms they use it. though with the family stuff though. It's the always ticket. like I tore your ticket, uh-huh. but he, he, but you can mend it, and it's just yeah. it's, it's so very dramatic. <laughs> like very I mean, Mandalorian. It, yeah, no, it's it's something else. I it's always kind of just like okay, they always always they always just touch touch on it, you know? It's yeah, never right. really this whole thing they're going to like truly flesh out, so. Yeah. For whatever reason the way this was set up, I was like this could be like a a sister or a dad reveal. I was waiting for like his dad to like be like the head uh, like a member on the high table or what the fuck ever, you know what I mean? But it was cool to see her. And then we get to the uh, Berlin nightclub fight with Killa. Starts with the poker scene. All the water in the world. Klein, talk to me about how wet and wild this one was. Um, my favorite. I mean, just so wet. There's just so many waterfalls. And the thing I love about this is when they actually get going. First, we also we get probably the coolest like gambit action sequence i think we're ever gonna get uh where he literally oh. like almost slices a man <laughs> with like with cards mutants are coming Klein. i know the mutants are coming but i give chad's to an mcu film he wanted to <laughs> he wanted to do blade he made that pitch um mm, but like damn. this this club sequence is awesome for my biggest reason for it is a lot of action movies a lot since really born maybe a little before that they like to do a lot of things in the dark. They like mm-hmm. to it because you can hide the scenes. You 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 can hide where you've stitched things together. Where maybe the you you can you can get away with more. The thing I love about this club scene it, it is so incredibly bright, and the only dark on the screen is John Wick's dark suit, and I love that because it sh- really shows you like no they're doing this like this is this is real. The impracticality of it all. It's very, very silly. I just mm-hmm. love that John Wick's literally on the ground, soaking wet. I like that. The, I, it seems like the top floor is more dry than the bottom floor. Once you go to the bottom floor, that's yeah. where you dance and you, you want to get you want to get wet. <laughs> yeah. And he's it's literally like zone. picking up axes <laughs> and tossing them across the room into people's foreheads. And people are just dancing, <laughs> like just <laughs> going and they don't care. And it is it's so ridiculous. But that's why I love John Wick. We've had it since the very first movie where the cop shows up at John Wick's house and he looks at all the dead bodies on the floor and goes, oh, 
So you're working again? Like working everyone again? in this world, I think just has like a <laughs> yeah. general acceptance that this is this is the world that they live in. So when people are getting at they they're just like, yeah, I guess at the end of this, everyone's screaming and running out. So obviously at some point someone clues into what's actually happening. <laughs> but I think this has some of the this is some of the coolest kills. Like I love the uh the axe stuff specifically, where he's like picking up the axes, swinging them, throwing them at people. Uh, yeah. It's, Even the way Killa finally dies. Oh, oh yeah. Ooh, you know, really felt that. <laughs> yeah. I I feel like he picks up axes more than he picks up anything else. Like he was like so many different axes he was rolling mm-hmm. through. Um, David, the dancing people is my favorite thing about these movies. Like Me too. that's that's the that's the spot so early two thousands. I just watched the Fast and Furious the other day. Um, But like, this is the spotlight of like, they can get away with ridiculous shit. Nobody's going to have a problem. If this was like a Marvel movie or DC movie and there were people dancing around a fight, we would tear it to pieces. Yep. (laughs) We would put it in a blender. Don't care even a little bit here. Acid's a hell of a drug. And these people are rocking this dance floor. (laughs) What does their day look like? Is my question, David. What do those people do in the morning? I don't know. Sleep, get up, Sleep. wake water. up to the club. <laughs> yeah, he'll work at their shift at the bank. Yeah, and go. Oh, hey, hey, Tim, you going to the waterfall go club later? Yeah, go, I think no, I am. You go work at like the little cafe. It's very Fight Club. Oh, in yeah. a lot of ways, you know what I mean? Like you see a guy with a scar, you nod. <laughs> you yeah, you see, <laughs> see a guy with black eyes, you nod. Um, yeah. David, this Berlin scene. Do you have a, a what moment sticks out to you the most? I honestly, it's when he first so post poker game and the whole five, five of a kind, five and the of po- a kind, and just of the course. building of tension. Yeah, it's so good. They, they really <laughs> did build tension that whole time where it's like, oh, this is it's about to go down. We're kind of just waiting for, it, waiting around. Once it finally does, and just the cinematography of this entire scene, I thought was so great, and how they use the colors, and specifically, I, I was almost like, this is so cool. When John Wick is first walking through, and it it's a little more believable because he's just holding a gun uh-huh. that everyone's dancing around him. Like when he first enters, almost, and yes. you're like, "Beautiful shot!" I think it's in the trailer, but like it was so good in the big screen of him just like first walking through, and it's like the close up of his face and holding With the light behind him. Exactly. Yes. Like, yes. This just looks stunning, and then yeah, the action progresses, and I I like the. Once again, everyone's unique style and getting mm-hmm. him to fight this big kingpin, you know, shooting him in the ass. And he's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know, you, you shot that, me in the ass. That's upsetting, <laughs> but I'm still going to like crush you in half, and, like break your back like Bane yeah. and Batman. You know, it, it was really good. I thought that was cool and uh, a, a welcome addition. You know, I think it's always fun in superhero movies and these action movies to kind of just give our hero. you. It's like Spider-Man. That's so cool about Spider-Man specifically and other heroes, I guess, as well, where he has to like beat villains in unique ways depending upon mm-hmm. their skill set and that's right. kind of what we saw in this scene 100 percent. and and shout out to earlier in the movie when uh akira asika i'm sorry i got her name right here uh, akira, akira climbs that big boss oh, jobber guy oh yeah like a mountain dude oh. like that's insane and that's the that's the second coolest king bane character in this movie <laughs> you know mm-hmm. it's crazy uh we move on to this is when the movie just gets real, guys. This is when it really like everything up to this point was cool. John Wick stuff. This is where it turns into stuff we haven't seen before. Yeah. You know, we'd seen all that stuff. It was cool. This is insane. When they get on the radio and and it's just on and the code that's being spoke. And I'm going to be honest, painted black started. 
I was like, no, don't, don't do the thing. Don't come on. I still got the bad taste in my mouth from black Adam. And then it's a French version. Get the fuck out of here. dude. <laughs> That's exactly what I wanted out of this. Loved every second of it. Let's talk about the, um, say this for me, Klein. Arc de Triumph. Arc de Triumph. Yeah. Arc de ooh, Triumph. That's Arc de Triumph. Word. Hey, I like that. The, Canada's a bilingual country, my friend. Yeah, no, and, and, and you know, I wish I, I wish I was more bilingual so I could say those types of words. That was very cool. Um, tell me, like, you know, this is the Fast and Furious scene, the roundabout, all the Frogger stuff, painted black, etc. What stood out to you in this sequence? We've gotten kung fu in this series. We've gotten gun fu in this series, but this is when we get car fu. It's oh, yeah. funny. Right before the movie started, I'm sitting there. I'm at my local Cineplex, and I'm sitting there, and the pre-show's on, and Keanu Reeves is on the screen, and Chad Stahelski, and they're saying like, "Oh, what?" The interviewers throwing them those the the lob questions that these sort of things get, and it's like, "Oh, what's different about John Wick Four? And they said. Lots of cars. There's a lot more, more cars. cars. And Keanu's yeah. like, yeah, I did a lot more car training for this. And so far in the movie, we're, I don't know, two-thirds of the way through. I'm thinking, right. it's not a no ton cars. of cars. Where the hell are the cars? He's he's getting, people are getting <laughs> thrown into cars. John Wick can just infinitely get hit by cars, it seems. Uh-huh. But I'm like, John hasn't really driven a ton. And then we get this sequence. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Okay, I get it. I see. I see what you're talking about, Mr. Reeves. And it's just, Mr. Reeves. it's so... <laughs> Another situation where, just like the club, there it's not as though, okay, there is a gunfight happening in the middle of one of the largest traffic circles in the world. People are just driving, going about their evening. But they have to go where they need to go, man. If I was them, I would be driving too. What have I got to stop? I also really thought... I thought it was really Think smart also it. to, you know, who's involved in the chase because they're going the wrong way. Oh, that's uh, something I, like, I think uh, that was a very smart decision. Otherwise it's like, okay, which, who is, who is who, what's happening, but it's, oh no, the cars that are all going this way are right. not threats. The ones that are going the way that against traffic are threats. Those, and yeah, it's, it's awesome. The paint of black of it all too. This, it will not be, it is not my personal like favorite licensed music moment in this film which we will get to <laughs> but it is really cool yeah this i think is my this is my this is my number one i think for action sequences in this movie i think this is like you said i think it takes it to a unique different area with the cars with the whole the fact that the roundabout the frogger crossy road whatever you want to say of it all like the the back and forth and how involved it gets with different people and different cars and and you know different guns you know like having to kind of deal with that and getting hit by cars and getting back up and it's like oh my gosh and the chaos of it i think because we understand there is this roundabout literal like circle of cars happening it's this constant feeling of like chaos and anything could happen any car could pop out of anywhere um and we finally get on the bike and drives through it's like, of course there's a motorcycle i love when around. he does the motorcycle he like rides the thing up. He lets it go and it rides up the dude's like face and it's yeah. whiskey like throttle is... somebody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Incredible. What, David, what? how hyped did this get you for fast? Oh, because man, <laughs> this is... uh, well, that's the thing, right? It's like thinking about this and yeah, it, it definitely was the most fast and furious. I would say like, mm-hmm. sequence I'd almost say it. this is more like mission impossible. This sequence to me, kind like, of, this is very like this feel felt very Ethan hunt. Okay. To me, like True. he would, he would get into a fight in the middle of this roundabout. 
when right. he's out when the door is like busted off the car and he's driving yeah. that's what's like, I love when he takes I love when he takes the guys out with the doors like yeah he's well, driving he, he just opens it yeah casualty of the fight I'm gonna lose a door here but this guy's fucked you know what I mean <laughs> yeah exactly yeah that yeah. like the getting hit by cars so often being without a door for so long that was very fast and furious to me and then he picks up a gun off the ground while driving mm-hmm. and then donuts just like in t- uh, too fast too furious. As he takes out an entire group of people like that shot before he got there where they show like the three cars together and everybody getting out hiding behind doors like Die Hard. I'm like, OK, how how are they going to do this one? And I never in my life thought it would be a circle up. But man, alive was it a circle up. And for me, this is where it's OK. That's the coolest action scene so far. How do they get better? Then they got better because we got one of the most hypnotic action sequences i've ever seen in a movie with the dragon's breath scene with the fire shotgun and the top-down view david cinematically have you ever seen anything like this anything so stylized yet organized at the same time i honestly i think about um 1917 that movie that came okay. out a couple yep. of years ago where it's all one shot pretty much mm-hmm. it's like one break it in a not in a very like film making way like movie making way reminded me of that because it was so cool how the shot continued and progressed from this over i mean the overhead shot was just something it was my favorite thing in the movie like it was my favorite moment i was like giddy in my seat like i was genuinely like smiling like this is so cool that they're doing this and so unique and so well done where you could see the people like the enemies and where he's going where they're going and like how did they do that <laughs> like how, how is that shot how is that done um but no not really not in a movie like this and i like how this movie felt the urge or the urgency i guess to take risks like this mm-hmm. not make every action scene feel the same or look the same because hey that one worked well let's do the same thing again right let's do let's take the same blueprint and do it again in this movie and that's what this film needed right this this scene would not even though even with the the satisfying ending it would not stick out in our heads nearly as much if not for this if yeah. not for hey this is we're going to be in this like busted out like house warehouse let's take a cinematography risk here let's do something unique let's let's take a chance and it i think it they hit home run and they knocked it out of the park because it, it was the i would say like in terms of like top plays how we always discuss in these reviews this is the number one top play for me is like that moment and the fact that it is the fire the dragon's breath boom and they're on fire and you, and like move on to the next one they fall over it's like ah perfect i mean so well done it, it, it does make you think a little bit how will they up this if they ever want to? You know, if there is a fifth one, like how how can they even do that? Because this movie gives so much. And I just want to jump off that real quick because I think what's the the decision that was made here? It wasn't like okay, how do we change our fight scenes to get cooler? Because I I, I obviously we got to go back and watch it. What's happening on the screen is a classic John Wick fight scene. Hide behind something, round the corner, quick double shot. Uh, you know, the dragon's breath adds such a cool element to it. But then uh, the tracker comes in for a little bit, and he's a part of it as well, and all that stuff. What's happening is traditional John Wick stuff. The make it cooler aspect is how they shot it. 
They didn't they didn't change the action scene. They changed how we look at it. And it worked mm-hmm. so well. So as far as like getting cooler, I'm excited that they're playing on both levels, not just what we're doing. How do we show what we're doing? Yeah. I thought that that's my favorite part of it was the decision not to not to do something we'd never seen before, do something we've never seen this way before. And that, that was a very they these guys get it kind of moment for me. Um, and what makes me excited about Sishu that fucking trailer that played before this movie of the gold miner in Nazi Germany or whatever. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> but I'm excited for them to do more things like this. You know, it's very everything everywhere all at once. The not just the decisions they made, the the way they approached those decisions. Uh Klein top down. This is the most video game scene. I think John this was- is my this is my favorite scene of the the movie. It reminded me there's a video game that came out um in the 2010 sometime. You probably David might know it's called Hotline Miami. And mm-hmm. it's a very stylized neon 80s action. And it looks just like this. It's top down, one shot, one kill. And you're running through rooms and picking up weapons and because enemies are dropping weapons. And you shoot an enemy and then you run to the next room with the sword that that enemy has and you kill them. And that's what it, this felt yeah. very much like that. This to me is the most impressive thing they did in this movie. Yeah, It's, it's almost ballet-like. The mm-hmm. way that it's, I have, I don't know what sort of organization goes into this. Mm-hmm. I love the, it's not just that it, that it wasn't as though they just like cut and we're all of a sudden top down or looking down. I love that it transitions from this third person and does a very, something that I really enjoy in like the Breaking Bad world is when you, they do this all the time in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul is when you make the camera something that the camera cannot be like you make the camera the roof or you make the cam like you put it somewhere where realistically in the world like it cannot exist there Mm -hmm. and this is a this is an example of that and it just it works so well i love that it's not just we're not just following john as you said david you can see the tracker come in and out of things here and there um in points and but but john never really interacts with him like it is mm-hmm. very much like he's just kind of yeah. doing his own thing and then fire shotgun like just like the I, I didn't know I, I didn't know i needed that and then <laughs> it's it starts happening and i just i'm a sucker for i love i love these kind of well made i love when a director and a cast they they have a vision for something and they really commit to it and this to me feels like so new yet so intrinsically john wick as well like Mm -hmm. now that i've seen i'm like oh yeah like that makes that makes total sense for this franchise and they like they committed and i i commend them this is the one sequence that i want to see a how the how the hell did you do that right right i was gonna say the same thing i was gonna like it 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 fits why does this fit you know what i mean but it does for some reason um we move on what's after that oh my god the fucking stairs heartbreaking like that that i think visually was the most creative thing they did narratively this is about like as like dramatic john wick's ever gotten when he gets pushed down those stairs guys i sank i was like no no. we just got all the way up uh uh klein when you saw the stairs what were you thinking (laughs) i at first i did kind of when I saw the stairs, I was like, oh, we're going to get the hot rod moment where he's just falling and falling and falling when he uh-huh. like gets up to the top of the stairs. Like I was punch dancing a wooded glen. And um, but <laughs> but I the the stair moment that I think needs to be shouted out more is John Wick has a fantastic score. 
They didn't use it here. They brought in licensed music. It was uh, G- um, Genesis by Justice, which was like a EDM hit in like 2012. Okay. And it's just, it goes. And it started playing and I'm sitting there going, they are not. And they do. And they play almost the entire song and it's oh, awesome. Yeah. And then it gets pushed all the way back down and it is a little comical. And I feel yeah. really bad for the stunt man. Like the number of times that he must have had to fall down those stairs right. and get got hung up on the railing or fell off the side. And it or it wasn't like I was listening to an interview with Stahelski the other day, and he was saying that like the first day they were shooting that, the stunt man just he walks up to the stairs and just threw himself yeah. down there. And everyone on the crew went, Oh my God. Like I think we may like I think we may have just killed somebody. And he got hung up on the railing about halfway down and he got up and they're like, okay, so you're going to have to fall all the way down. Like we can't, we, we can't keep that. And he yeah. goes, okay. And so he walks back up to the top of the stairs and then throws himself again, even harder. And everyone's <laughs> going, we're going to kill somebody. Yeah. And it's just, I think that this is, it's such a cool way to like, these stairs exist. This is a very famous church in Paris. Like my fiance has been there. Mm-hmm. And it's a very cool thing that's like, let's build an action sequence around the look around the location. It's that it's the Tim Gettys thing you said. It's it feels like they found all of these places and said, it'd be really cool if we did something here. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. David, uh, I um, I love just the presentation of it all with the, the person over the radio being like, who's going to make the climb up the 284 steps or whatever the fuck she said. The wicked man is still on the loose. Yeah. Like, like, <laughs> it's so funny. The energy of this felt different, David. Like, like, like we just went from a very fast paced. Oh my God. We're on top of the building scene to like, this was very, uh, the Wolverine. Is that the one where he gets shot with all the arrows, uh, with the ropes attached to him as he's going through that town. Is um, that it? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Cause that was sick. Oh, yeah. This felt like gauntlet style stuff. Yeah, like to me, it's like this is the biggest struggle of the entire movie. You know, this is the struggle scenes, struggle sequence where it's like, you know, he works his way up. And right when you think he goes back down once again, this stuck out to me and kind of going off of we didn't really touch on it. That whole sequence in the last scene where he doesn't shoot the tracker. And he shoots that guy and saves the dog. And then how that comes back into play. We have Kane helping out on the stairs. Then the tracker helps out, right? And it's this whole thing and the satisfaction, finally, of killing that one henchman, the 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 marquee guy. Um, and then the dog just, like, the just dog let him loose on, on him. his head. Anytime you hear the growl. <laughs> yeah. My feeder went crazy when he peed on him, by the way. Everyone loves yeah, it. Was that. <laughs> it was so good. That was, people were, like, clapping. Everyone's like, yeah. Oh. and um because it felt so deserved when he gets up there and to me it's just it was cool i think like playing around with the stairs as well and like how as a viewer you're kind of like always feeling like you're looking up obviously and it's like oh there's more coming you know there's a couple guys Mm -hmm. there there's a couple guys here and i love these one that thought i had is these fucking idiots that are just walking there smoking a cig drops it that dude, that's the last thing you're ever going to do on this earth. Like, yeah. what do you do? You, do prepared. you know who this man is? Yeah, right? like I don't understand why these guys are so confident and like smug. They're like, what's oh, that story, baby? We we <laughs> come here. Like, it's like, what are you doing? Like, I, if I'm them, I'm in that giant. I'm from the original, uh, the first action scene. That like big, like uh, almost the suits. Yeah. The, yeah, those like giant suits with the mask. Like, just mm-hmm. I have like 
grenades and stuff. You he's know, this is where there. he's headed. Or, you know, like a lot of these guys feel like they are the Marquis men. Yeah. And so, they, like, you know where he's going. He has to get there by this certain time. Yep. So he's go, going just go set you. up. Oh, <laughs> it's just so there's chill. so much like grab a sniper, be 100 yards away. I don't know. Something no, they all it, come right? at him with knives and pistols. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean it's screwed. that Ninja Turtles moment where the Foot Clan's always doing this before they fight an entire group of them. You know what I mean? They always line up first and, and they make the uh, Age of Ultron joke. It's almost like they're lining up. Yeah, it's like they're almost like they're lining up. Yeah, it's so sick. Great, great. And then the Donnie Yen of it all as well. You know what I mean? Like when he comes in, hey, John, I'm going to need you to get up those stairs. Okay. Yep. I, I got some work I got to do here. I'm going to need you to get up those stairs. I can't believe we earned that in this movie. You know what I mean? Like out of nowhere with a brand new character. Um, moving right along, um, uh, let's let's talk about the duel. Um, the slowest action scene always. But what was your guys' favorite part of this? Was it the 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 setup, the ending, just the execution of it all, uh, Klein, you know, in the duel, what was your moment here that, you know, sunk this up and tied, tied the uh, bow, so to speak. I've had a lot of moments in the John Wick franchise where I've gone like, Oh my God, like I've never seen that before, but I've never had one where I like, I genuinely was like, I don't know, had this level of shock and it was the, he hasn't shot yet. Yeah. Because we get the first shot and they both nick each other. Like you think, okay, these two, I've John doesn't miss. And so they nick each other. Second shot, they nick each other again. John gets, or I guess on the third one, John gets hit really bad. But mm-hmm. the third one, he doesn't hit Donnie N. And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. oh my God, like what happened? And then I'm slowly like questioning, like, why did he miss? Like he he doesn't do that. And then the like that Winston line, like rules are rules. He hasn't shot yet. And then bang, Bill Skarsgård takes one of the forehead. Yep. And it's just, like, it is, it's funny. It's so simple, yet it is so like something I didn't see coming right. at all. For a second, I'm like, how are they going to, what like is Donnie Yen go, going to actually kill John and then kill Bill Skarsgård and they'll get one final moment like saying goodbye or whatever. Right. And I, I, I love that they, I don't know. It took this risk almost like it, it does feel a little different and I love it. And it is, it is so like built, it is so built in this mythology and makes sense, but it's still so surprising as a viewer. It's, yeah, it's for, where the ridiculousness and the dramatic combine in this movie. For me in the moment, I actually was like, Oh, he didn't shoot. I literally like whispered it to myself. I'm like, idiot. I'm like, he didn't shoot. And Jasmine was mad after me. She's like, why'd you say that out loud? I'm a freaking idiot. Like, because <laughs> then I was like, oh yeah, he didn't shoot. And um, actually, my thought David's process, standing went, up in the theater screaming, he's, he didn't he shoot, didn't guys. Shoot guys, did you that. see that shit? <laughs> <laughs> It'd be a great uh, SNL character. <laughs> oh my God, you guys know this. <laughs> um, actually, in my head, speaking of that scene, like the whole thought process was, there's that line, there's that kind of like conversation they almost have, uh, Yen and John Wick. And um, it's like those that are living get closest to death, and those that are like those who are living death. cling to death. Or, yeah, cling. Yeah, those, those who want to live cling to death, and those who want to die cling to life. Yeah. And something. in my mind, oh, no, it's the other way around. Or it's, yeah, it's those cling to life die, and those cling to death live. Yes. And what in my mind was that. I thought what was going to happen is that Wick 
and um what's the character's name donnie yen's character Kane. uh kane right kane we're gonna turn and shoot winston and uh the marquee that's what i thought was gonna happen there's gonna be like all right and then no. that's done you know it, and it's knocked both of them out but i liked the way it ended up working out i thought they 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 worked around the system they worked around the game where it was all fair is fair you know at the end of the day it's like that that was fair rules yeah. are rules rules are rules and John what are still we without, dies. Yeah. What are we without rules? It was I, yeah. I thought it was a cool way of wrapping up the movie because that could have been poorly done. You know, they could have yes. done that in a much worse way. It's one of those that could have sucked, and you can tell it could have sucked. Like the the that was when the CG was probably at its worst in that scene. Because yeah, it's, it's, yeah. You, I don't think you can actually shoot there. They they very specifically played with the sunrise aspect of it, so you know it had to be had artificial to. in some way. Yeah. I do love the use of flowers in this movie, though. You know, both in Japan and here in France, very awesome flower imagery throughout. Like, I, you know, the the perspective across the screenness of it all, they do a right. lot of that. That was cool. Um, but the first time Bill Skarsgård gets his hands dirty, this entire movie, except for the knife scene, get shot in the head. I love that. I love how excited like, he is He's yeah. like, to get the gun. He's just oh, I, like, I am going to end this. Yeah, Ibs, yeah. please. Um, it was awesome. It was perfect. It's almost like it was planned. You know what I mean? Like it felt like it was planned for a second, but I don't think it was. It was cool. Um, just some random John Wick shit I wanted to throw out here. The giant suitcase size hourglass. You have yep. one. Loved it. That's exactly what I want. Now, do you guys think it's the same hourglass in both shots or was it like a perfectly timed one, two, three, bang. <laughs> and we have two hourglasses going, one for Winston, one for uh, Skarsgård. That's the questions I ask. Good question. In this world, there's in this world, there's definitely two. In this world, they are <laughs> yeah, in this world, they're definitely two and they are somehow syncing them at the exact same time. Two, three, go. <laughs> it's perfect. Um, that the five of a kind thing. So John Wick, like, of course, this the, and, and Donnie said this asshole just throw another two. He did, did he? Um, the the family ticket. We talked about that earlier. So ridiculous. Uh, the carts, the the game of the game of high card, low card to decide the rules of this thing. Love the rules oh, cool. thing. Yeah, David. I mean, what, what an awesome way to set the stage. Yeah, I thought the rules thing was I thought that was like one of the best scenes. That was my an favorite scene. non-action scene. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I really love right. the it's it's the it's the mythology the of this poker. world, right? All the uh-huh. ceremony where it is just the what is it? The challenge, the challenger chooses first place. Yeah. And it, it's just it's so it's so extra. And these aren't cards. These are these like nice ceramic tiles that yeah. have numbers on them. <laughs> it's just it's so like it, it's so over the top yet believable. And I, yeah, like, it's so, like, I love it tradition and old school like that was the whole thing with the duel this concept is so yeah. like outlandish but it's like it kind of make you, you could mm-hmm. see where this would be like their oldest tradition you know like at the end of the day just just duel and that's what they had that line of like that's how like all out war, war doesn't just like break out you know like there's yeah. these kinds of things that can kind of like nip these conflicts at the bud at the very uh-huh. top so the whole world doesn't start burning yeah and and i think that you know, you could tell me this is like, you know, back in the day, this is how they used to decide stuff with a game of high card, low card. Like, I would believe that. Like, that, right. that sounds like some old shit. And um, back to the whole commitment thing. Nobody needs explained what's going on. They don't explain it to you at any point. It just happens. And like their commitment, like the characters just know. So the audience feels like we just know. And it makes sense. It's simple enough. Um, my favorite part of this entire scene was time and place. John Wick. Now. <laughs> 
<laughs> right now. Like John yeah. Wick wants this done right now because he knows what a whole night's going to do to him. Yep. You know what I mean? He knows he's got this chick on the radio about to blow a spot up. Um, <laughs> and then the dueling pistols, one bullet at a time on a serving tray. How rich mm-hmm. he rich of them. <laughs> you know? Like, cool pistols, man. This was dope. dope. It was awesome. It was yeah. very cool. Ladies and gentlemen, that was John Wick chapter four. And then, of course, John Wick uh, passes away on the staircase. So I'll ask both of you moving forward. Um, we're getting the Ana de Armas ballerina movie. We're all very excited. Um, do we think John Wick chapter five has Keanu Reeves involved? Or do you think this universe is expanding elsewhere? Uh, Klein, I want to go to you first. Oh, man. I think that this universe, I, I mean, it, it, it will expand. We're getting Continental series. We're getting ballerina. Sisu. Uh, Sisu as well. Oh my god. If, if that's a John Wick tie-in. Um, <laughs> That'd be so cool. I, if we had closed the film on John Wick just laying on the stairs, I would have said, okay, I think he, I, I think he's, I think he'll come back. Like they're leaving this ambiguous. But the fact that we go to a gravestone, I am kind of like, we kind of get a goodbye mm-hmm. with Winston and the Bowery King. So I'm going to say he's dead. I, I just, I think Keanu's, this is a lot of work to keep doing these things. And, and I don't, I also think that Stahelski, like this to me feels very much like a, if you're going to end it here, I am satisfied. Like this right. feels like a send off. This, this feels like a, it has finality to it. Yeah, I agree. I think he comes back. Okay. I think we didn't see a body and that was on purpose. And <laughs> I, I, th- I think at the end of the day, he's going to come back because I, I think they left it where it wasn't this grandiose funeral thing because it leaves the door open of future storytelling very fast and furious. You know, we can kind of just figure it out. And I think the reason is at the end of the day, money, this movie's yeah. going to make the most of the entire franchise. They're not that expensive to make, like, even though this movie's so well made. Not that, like, it's this R-rated action flick with Keanu Reeves, and it's going to make like over 400 yeah. million probably worldwide this time around. And the first one was like 20 million to make. It's crazy what this is turning into. Um, so my my the first one was supposed to be a like straight to DVD, yeah, action movie. If you look at, I mean, if you go back and watch it, like if you compare that to this one, it's it's not even comparable. I mean, it's you, well, what's cool is that you can kind of see where it all began. Um, Honestly, I think he will be back. I think there will be a fifth movie. And I can see where that maybe is like the maybe they they even market that one as kind of the last one. They That'd were originally my... going to do five and end it like that. They were going to film this and five together before COVID. And oh, that, right. that was going to be it. Yeah. So I don't know. I could see I, I could see where the studio wants there to be a fifth one because it's kind of hard, in my opinion, to now just off of four without another fifth one down the road just doing spinoffs and that's kind of it you know or they make because you can't call the next one john wick and not have john wick in it <laughs> at least oh, in my opinion but what is is john wick a name is it a? Is it, that's what is. the producer was saying like is it a name is it a title is it a, a way of life like, i mean ima- i imagine the ballerina thing will have like, is, is ballerina gonna be like ballerina a john wick story <laughs> like, well john wick's in it like they, he said they've said he's cameoing there so yeah. where that takes place in the timeline and we have a post credit scene in this movie exactly yeah so, so i don't know give me a shamir anderson show what would that stream on stars i think yeah, I the guess. is it stars i don't know yeah, i know lionsgate owns stars that would suck no but that i think suck. i hope it's not stars <laughs> i swear the spinoff show or whatever is on amazon that makes sense continental right i think so well, i don't know 
Either way, we'll find out someday. A lot of awesome opportunities. <laughs> what a great movie. We all loved it very much. Uh, Klein, thank you so much for joining us today, buddy. We really appreciate uh, your attendance on a short notice and early morning over there in Canada. I love it. No better way to wake up than talking about Keanu Reeves. It's going to be on Peacock. Very great. Awesome. Hell yeah. I'm I'm fucking in. Can't get that here. (laughs) Um, Klein, um, are you working on anything awesome over there at thedirect.com? And where can people find you not only writing, but talking into a microphone about things you love? Well, it's direct.com. Always head over there for just about everything we've had a absolutely bonkers last couple of days in not the best way but it's all over at the direct you can head over there and look read listen to these folks uh and you can find me on twitter at the kleinfelt t-h-e-k-l-e-i-n-f-e-l-t and i host a video game podcast called controller club that we are in the midst of some pretty exciting big and kind of scary cool things so that is neat so head on over to controller club on whatever podcast service you're listening to this and subscribe rate review do all the good things absolutely and always make sure to check out reckless rebels where you can get more klein and more david talking about star wars speaking of star wars david we will be back wednesday for the mandalorian chapter 21 the mandalorian turns 21 years old who knew wow. Wow. it can drink awesome. it can drink maybe maybe grogu gets drunk yeah that's at I, this rate i would watch that who knows what is grogu drinking or is he like stocky I, Saki, interesting. For sure. Okay. Little okay. tiny little Saki. Yes. Okay. Yep. <laughs> I don't know why my head went to PBR, but like I'm not, I don't know why. Don't hate PBR either. I think I think it works. Ladies and gentlemen, until then, this is the direct podcast. We'll see you next time. Okay. So the first question I had is so DC films, obviously, any comic book movie is unique. You know, you've worked on TV, different movies um international films right american Mm -hmm. films what makes it unique when filming a comic book project right obviously it's a very unique thing a lot of computer graphics and on top of that i know fury of the gods was also filmed a lot during the pandemic and Mm -hmm. maybe any kind of issues you had or, or just challenges that were faced while you know filming during that time well it really was complicated to film during that time for sure because also like the Shazamly and and myself being mostly with the kids, um, it was hard to to be able to hang out and like have a sort of like a comfortable atmosphere because of all the the restrictions of COVID. You know, the masks and the social distancing and right all that stuff really was not conducive to <clears throat> to feeling comfortable on set. But you know, at least we were able to get the movie made, which of course we're really grateful for. Mm-hmm. We had been waiting for two years and the kids were growing so fast. And obviously the producers were like, let's just try to do this before all the kids are fully adults, you know? Right. Um, <clears throat> so that was can um complicated, but you know, I mean, a global pandemic has affected every single person. So we're not, you know, we're not the only ones. Right. Um but filming a movie like this has been so uh, incredibly exciting. Maybe like imagine if you had told that little girl in Spain at age 14 that one day she'd be in a big superhero movie in Hollywood, you know, with dragons and unicorns <laughs> and and kids that have become superheroes. Like I would, I'm still pinching myself, you know, it's a, it's a total dream come true. And I feel it's important sometimes to just sit back and, and, and take, take it in because it has been a long road. It, it's a complicated business for everybody. It's an ungrateful business where 
one day you think, yeah, things are going to get easier and you were back in the, in the line fighting like everyone else. And when you get, when you get moments like this to celebrate and be proud of something that's beautiful and that is a good movie made with all our love with right. a great message, uh, you know, what more could someone ask for? You know? Yeah. And speaking of those dragons or the one dragon and the unicorns and stuff. So Shazam, the first one was a success. You know, people really enjoyed the movie. Um, it was something kind of unique and different for the genre, I would say. And it warranted a sequel, obviously, Fury of the Gods. And we see often in comic book movies, especially, it's about raising the stakes and one-upping yeah. the original, right? So in what ways would you say that Fury of the Gods kind of, I don't know, expands upon the first one and really raises the bar? Well, I mean, obviously, just the special effects and all the CGI stuff that we did not have in the first one, uh, we have a lot of that in the second one. Mm -hmm. um, bringing the amazing villains that we have, uh, Dame Helen Mirren, Lucy Liu, Rachel Zegler, that are just adding to all the flavor that the movie already has. Um, <clears throat> I think I think it's complicated, you know, in, in this oversaturated superhero world where it's just really hard to make a, a movie that's better than the last one. It's, it's just complicated. And I think, I don't even know how, but when I first saw it and I thought, oh my God, because I wasn't expecting it. Usually sequels, they try to one-up the first movie, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they make it better by being bigger, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think ours is an exception. I'm truly proud of um, of sitting there and thinking, wow, it is a bigger movie. It feels, you know, louder and more fun and more special effects and more impressive action sequence and all that stuff. But what's amazing is that the heart of the movie, which is the Shazam way, which is what truly matters that it's all about family. Mm -hmm. It is intact. Like that, that unity, that core, the Ma Mama Rosa being the heart that brings everyone together. That scene that I have with Billy on that rooftop when he finally calls me mom, mm -hmm. when I tell him that he'll never grow out of his home, like imagine it's not just any superhero movie, man. Like, imagine the impact that messages like that have on children all over the world, which is what's amazing about being in movies this big, is that 80 countries in the world are seeing this movie. 80 million people from, from all different walks of life and backgrounds are seeing themselves portrayed in this movie. And, and especially if you're a young kid who doesn't come from a good family, who comes from a broken home, who doesn't come from a stable background, and you see yourself portrayed in a movie this size, with a found family, with a foster family that aren't necessarily your biological siblings, that mm -hmm. love one another, with a mom that's telling you, hey, I might not be your biological mom, but I'm giving you a home forever. That message? Come on. It's not It's not just a superhero movie with dragons and special effects. It has an important message. And I'm so proud of that, you know? Yeah. No, I hear you. And And one thing that stuck out to me was the balance of that in these Shazam movies, where there's a lot of humor and then a lot of just superhero um, action and things that you normally see in a film. One thing that was also present in Fury of the Gods was cameos. Uh, one specifically <laughs> being Wonder Woman, uh, yeah. which we told you kind of get twice. And I wanted to ask you about that because, look, I know there's a lot of movie magic out there and I don't know how everything is made, but I'm curious. Um, obviously, that one scene near the end, I've, I've obviously seen the movie and we're talking about it. Um, yeah. when Wonder Woman appears and she yeah. does her thing, her her godlike thing. Yeah. Um, were you, like, what was that day like on set? Was she actually there? How how did that play out? 
So we, at that scene, actually, coincidentally, is the last scene we filmed, oh, that I filmed in the movie. Oh. It was towards the end of the film, of the filming time around early September, I believe. We started in May and it was like early September. Mm. And sadly, Gal Gadot, I think she was in, in Europe. She had just given birth to a baby. Yeah. So we had our side. <clears throat> sadly, she wasn't there for us. Obviously, she wasn't just going to fly to be like off camera. Um, <laughs> so, but, but you know, obviously I, I, the, the scene with Zach, the close-up with Zach was filmed later on. Um, so I wasn't physically with her and I haven't met her um, mm -hmm. in person. But I'm kind of stoked that I'm in a scene with Wonder Woman. Like my niece, my brother's baby, who's my goddaughter, her name is Juana. She's uh, from Spain as well. And uh, her favorite character uh, in her life is Wandel Woman, like she calls him. Yeah. Wandel, I cannot wait, Mama, to see Wandel Woman. And my <laughs> sister-in-law is like, well, wait till I take you to the movie theater. You're going to see who's going to be with Wandel Woman. <laughs> so, yeah, that's awesome. You know what? That's there forever. And I'm just, I'm truly grateful and blessed to have been a part of these two movies. Like, truly. Yeah, so speaking of being a part of these two movies, obviously a lot's been shaken up in the uh, DC management lately. Um, James Gunn, director James Gunn, is now an executive for DC Studios. Shazam mm -hmm. producer Peter Safran for both mm -hmm. Shazam and Shazam 2 Fury of the Gods is now an executive leading in this kind of new era of DC films. You know, a lot of people are wondering or just kind of curious because there is this moment in time right now with like Shazam opening in, in March and kind of the future of these characters that, like you said, with all those familial ties and what these characters mean to certain people and how we can like relate to them in different ways. And maybe we wouldn't in other comic book movies. Where do you see the Shazam? How do you say it? Shazam family? <laughs> you say it a lot well, yeah, better. We call it Shazamily. <laughs> Shazamily. Love that. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. The Shazamily. How do you see them fitting in possibly going forward? And maybe it's not even in a, in a uh, Shazam three, let's say. Listen, I um, <clears throat> I think the future of the Shazamily is, uh, you know, it's not written. I think there is a lot more to explore. I personally would love to see Billy having a smoothie or like a chocolate milkshake with Batman. And then <laughs> Mama Rosa showing up and being like, hey, you guys, do you mind if I take the Batmobile for a spin? I just want to just check the tires, you know, and like Mama Rosa like crashes the car. So, yeah. Something adorable and funny, which is part of what makes us stand out in a different way. Um, I know that there is a lot of, you know, politics involved and a lot of hardcore fans of one side on the other side, a lot of mm -hmm. haters on, on, on the internet, a lot of critics that <clears throat> feel like they have a political agenda uh, rather than actually sitting and watching the film and enjoying it. And also what I think it's even more special is our movie is lovely and fun. We're not trying to push any agenda. We're not trying to prove any, 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 any point. And I don't know what it is about, I don't know if it's our society nowadays that celebrating fun isn't good enough, you know? A movie right. that is you just go and you feel good about it and you have a good laugh and you see this just Emily and you have, that doesn't seem to be good enough for some people, you know? Right. So I hope that won't um, have anything to do with um, the decision making in the in the future. I I do believe it's um, it's a special story that has touched a lot of, parts all over the world and i think that's part of the reason why the first movie was so successful and we were able to do a second one mm -hmm. and i just hope that that word of mouth and that that feel good sensation will continue to to pass along all over the world and you know 
let's cross fingers for a third one. Who knows? Yeah. Um, and kind of going off of that, speaking of like your character, Mama Rosa, and talking about how things are up in the air, you know, you kind of talked about the politics and it's it seems it's not written right for you as an actress. You know, would you be interested in assuming a different role? Because there's some rumors floating about that some heroes that we've already seen in D.C., some actors could be recast in different positions. Yeah, in, in different positions, uh, yeah. Yeah, in yeah, a different yeah. role. So um, maybe you don't have an, an exact character off the top of your head, but would there be any kind of character you'd be you know, willing to or maybe be excited about playing if I it's mean, not Mama Rosa I, I, going I, forward? I have clear in my mind that I would love to be Catwoman. Ah, <laughs> I would yes. love to be Catwoman. Not, you know, I love Zoe. Zoe um, did a beautiful job in, in The Last Batman. So nothing to say against her, mm-hmm. but just the character itself is, um, it's just a cool character. Like I, I did, I worked with this amazing, um, <clears throat> choreographer that had choreographed, uh, Joaquin Phoenix's performance in the Joker, just a woman from Sweden. Mm-hmm. And she does a lot of body work, uh, a, a lot of animal work and stuff like that. And I did a movie last year in Bulgaria, um, sort of like a psychological thriller in which the character there's part of her that becomes this like tigress character which is pretty much a cat you know right and i remember doing all this work with her and it was during covid time so it was all zoom and not you know not even i never got to meet her in person and i remember thinking man how cool to turn into a cat you know (laughs) and what that meant and like all the body work that we did and she kept saying well you know you are in a warner brothers movie yeah you know you never know (laughs) so yeah there's something to dreaming right there you know yeah that's awesome hey i mean they're they're making a whole other batman universe another brave and the bold movie so uh who knows the options are open Uh, endless possibilities i suppose uh one thing um speaking back onto mama rosa in fury of the gods you already mentioned it plays a pivotal role i would say especially to you know, Billy as a young man, hero, kind of that back and forth and what that means and him being kind of lost in himself as a family or, you know, not having a family and within himself. Uh, so I don't know. You know, I'm curious. Did you film anything else for this movie that, you know, maybe some some additional scenes between you two or between you and any of the Shazam, Shazam family uh, that was left on the cutting room floor that you maybe wish had made it in? Uh I don't think so in the second movie. I remember the first movie, um, which obviously we didn't know that it was going to be the success that it became, right? But in the te- I remember in the testing process, I think they do like this audience testing that um, mm-hmm. they go in like random movie theaters all over the country. And apparently what people were gravitating towards the most was the Shazamily. Mm-hmm. So we went back to do reshoots in Toronto on the first movie and extended um, the first opening scene when like, I, I adopt Billy and we come home to the house and all the kids are running around and everyone introduces themselves. And I remember, and we had filmed that already, but we added a lot more nuances to that scene because it was such a big scene. And I remember thinking, oh, this is a good sign because if people are gravitating more towards the family is because people are paying attention to something that is not common in other superhero movies. So. I think that's why, of course, we have a lot of a lot more action in the second movie and whatnot. But we keep going back to the Shazamly. We keep going back to scenes at home and like the last scene in the movie is us having dinner at home before the wizard comes to say goodbye. So, right, you know, I I think it was a, a writer is so wonderful and he knew exactly how to explore 
um, all the other aspects. So I think he, I think he did such a good job with the script that I don't think anything was missing in the second movie. You know, right. Uh, one last quick question, if that's okay. Um, yeah. Last thing, um, I have. I know you got to go. Um, is so far the movie, you know, it's going to have a long theatrical run. So far, it's not performing as well as the first one in the box office. You know, it just seems like less people are going out to see it. And I have two questions for you. Um, you kind of already talked about this a little bit. Is why you maybe think that is, you know, you kind of already alluded to that a little bit. Like, well, what could that reasoning be? And it's kind of one of those things that's hard to project and kind of analyze, understand. And two, you know, talking about the Shazam family, um, Shazamily, as you put it so well, <laughs> what, yeah. like, what do you think the greatest strength strength of this movie is and why people should go out and check this movie out that maybe, you know, maybe it is the superhero fatigue things you're hearing about right now? Yeah, well, listen, I think there's a lot of things at play. I think um, post-COVID, less people go to the movie theaters. Uh, that is just a sad reality. So you cannot count on doing the numbers that any movie did before. And I, it's kind of like petty, all these comparisons with like, it's, you know, it did so much worse than blah, 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 blah. You're like, yeah, but you can't compare what's happening today, 2023, with what happened in November 2019. Like there's there's been a lot of things happening in the world that have changed the landscape of, of movie going, you know? So that's one thing. Mm -hmm. Second thing, um, I don't know if there's a superhero fatigue. It might be. Um, uh, it's, it's clear that there's a superhero fatigue in the critics world where like you have all these trolls that just make some unnecessary hatred comments that are so uncalled for that, uh, that I, I just stopped reading it over the weekend because I was like, you know what? It's just not worth it, you know? Yeah. But because we're confident, because this is a good movie, like if it weren't a good movie, you'd be like, well, you know, I don't know. It is a great movie. And I just hope that the word of mouth will continue to, to, to work. At the end of the day, that's what matters. What matters is people going to the movies, liking it, and telling other people to go see it. Full stop. Yeah. I don't care how many critics say one thing, how many reviews, how many the box office numbers. Is that It's understandable that this being movies of this size, inevitably they have to perform at the box office because they cost a lot of money to make. That's just a fact. And at the end of the day, this is a business. No one is doing this for the love of art. They're doing it because they have to make money. I get that. Right. But, um, but you know, it's also we are in a transitioning period where having changed, like as you were saying, Peter and, and James run, now running DC and having had all those recasts and all those changes in, you know, these other superhero characters, maybe people are sort of wary of, you know, relating to one character thinking, well, maybe this is the the, the last of that universe and, that, and now everything is going to be rebooted and new and we, we don't want to invest in that. Maybe there's a little bit of that. Right. But I think even if there's a little bit of that, which is understandable, um, when people go watch the movie, just give it a chance because it's a great movie and you will tell your friends to go see it. And I am a firm believer of that. We we did we did a great story and I hope people will give it a chance, you know. Right. Well, all right, Marta. Thank you so much. It was great Thank talking you, to David. you. David, that was great questions. It was nice chatting to you and like um, you know, getting getting excited. It's sometimes it's hard, you know, when you have a a lot of like unnecessary pettiness, it right. is it's disheartening because you're like, man why you know we did we did good and in general you know in the in the in the inter in the interweb of trolls but yeah it's, it's hard it can be toxic for sure it, it's all over the place you know and it's it's marvel it's dc it's all these big names um i you know i checked the movie out yesterday and i thought it was hilarious that was the big thing that i feel like i didn't see online at all was just how funny this movie <laughs> like yeah, Shazam is. I know, it's like I saw, really I saw it, one comment of one critic being like 
it's a joyless sequel. You're like, joyless? It's the opposite of that. What are you talking about? Yeah. I think Helen Mirren, Helen Mirren could read a phone book and she's great. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, no, whatever, man. I think, I think at the end of the day, those are one comments of one person, another person. What matters is that people will see it. It will speak to their heart. And that's why we do what we do. I don't do that. So I'll get a check from some whatever critic, you know? That's not why we're doing this. You said you want to play Catwoman in DC. Is there any Marvel character you'd want to play? <laughs> oh, let's see. Marvel. Um, um, it's okay if you don't have one. <laughs> no, no, no. Let me let me think. Let me think. I was uh, so funny enough. My my best friend is married to Thor, Chris Hemsworth. Oh yeah, and, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I had never seen his movies. You know, they, she married him, and he was he became a movie star, and we knew him as this like tall blonde australian good looking guy you know and <laughs> and then I, I feel like on the third thor uh, that chris was like wait wait a minute my wife's best friend hasn't seen my movies and i said like, chris you look like thor you sound like thor i, I can't believe you carrying a hammer i'm Get sure it. you're great yeah <laughs> you know and then and then we went to the they dragged him into the premiere of thor ragnarok and i looked at him and i said chris man you're funny <laughs> you're actually funny so anyway we always teased about hmm, and then, you know, Matt Damon cameos in his movies, right? Yeah. And they're really good friends. And when when Shazam 1 came out uh, around the same time as Thor Ragnarok, I think that we came out a, a month before. Mm-hmm. And Matt said to Chris, I'm sorry, dude, but like my favorite character growing up was Shazam. And Chris is like, wait, what? I'm your friend. What do you mean, Shazam? And I was like, sorry, dude. Sorry. But um, <laughs> I don't know. It would be funny to like take his camera for a bit and like make make a thor woman and just just for the love laughs of it right yeah yeah well hey i mean it seems like the <laughs> x-men are coming Athorita, so maybe... Athorita. <laughs> yeah there we go all right well thank you so much you're welcome david you have a great day and uh thanks for chatting with me yeah thanks you too <laughs>